Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey, kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Hey kids, comics! And here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. You ready? Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. For us. A couple, couple, no, couple, couple of weeks. Couple, yeah. More than that. It's been a few. A couple of months. It's not. We recorded one last time I came up. When did you last time you come up? A few weeks ago. Was it? Yeah. I don't even remember that. Yeah. <laughs> you come home so frequently. I don't remember you coming home. I don't come home frequently enough. Do you not? No. I'd have you doing one of these every week if you did. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome back for another special. Another one. I like how we, we left. We did the last ever Hey Kids comics, mm. and then we did more. Well, we did the last ever weekly episode. That's true. It's well, like when a show stops being weekly, and then they go off and do movies. Okay. Star Trek. Or... Yeah, but we've, we've not done shows infrequently enough for them to be specials or movies. Are you complaining? Absolutely. <laughs> I've been releasing them very spaced out. I know, yeah. As of this recording, there's an episode I've not released yet. Yeah, that's that's weird when you say, oh, we're doing Dark Victory, so we recorded that months ago. Yeah, see? So I'm spacing them out, because I'm getting fed up with people saying, how can we miss you if you don't go away? You should just stop altogether. Yeah, this is it. Bye. <laughs> well, keep on recording them. Keep on recording them. So there's a backlog of one a year. But don't release them. Yeah, we'll see how people miss us then. <laughs> Indeed they do. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, Michael's back. Say hello. Uh, hello. Michael's back for Easter. I am. I don't know what this means in release terms. Because it probably won't be going up in yeah. Easter. No, no, not a chance. I'm not editing three episodes over <laughs> Easter. Although, I was thinking of making them shamelessly tie into Captain America Civil War. Oh, okay. Which two of what we're doing could do. That's true. Couldn't they? Quite easily. So, But that all depends on me getting it ready in time. Yes. Isn't it? Which, you know, I made it. Anyway, yeah, we're back. We're back for three episodes. Whether I'll release those three consecutively. Yeah. Or whether I'll, uh, I'll release them sparsed out up until summer. I don't know. The, the, the joy of not having a weekly release schedule. I can That's release true. them whenever the hell. When they're ready, yeah. I'll release them. Gotta fine tune your art. Is, is that what? You but do? then, then you get to the point where you, you do nothing but fine tune it. You listen back to it. You beat to listen to it, and you got that bit needs tightening up. I could trim that. I could make that a bit clearer. Ooh, I said something wrong though. Let's insert Anya over the top of me to replace it, so people don't email me nitpicking that I said the wrong thing though. That kind of thing. Okay. And then you actually got to the point where you just got to step back and release it to the world. Sorry. Like with your kids. Yeah. Okay. Eventually, you just got to kick them out. And let them fend for themselves. Well, well doing, doing all right, doing all right. <laughs> yeah, you come up every time saying I've run out of money. What's that? That's, ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> Don't be making me look bad in front of all your friends. <laughs> you okay. I am. You do a good enough job of that on your own. I am great with handling my money. Are you really? Yeah. Mm. I am. How much have you got? Enough. <laughs> anyway, enough of Michael's monetary situation. 
York. Although you are going to New York. I am. We should announce that on the show officially. I'm going to New York. You're going to New York. You're probably going to get to meet Paul Pissarra. Yeah. Which is lovely. 6 to the 11th, 6 mm. to the 10th. So Michael. October. Michael will be at New York Comic Con. I will. You jabby bastard. I know. This year, this year is going to be great. I told you yesterday, like, mm. Springsteen and New York in the same ki- uh, same year. My kids will know that the day they were born was not as good as this year. <laughs> it was not the best time of it your life. Bloody wasn't. Bloody wasn't. <laughs> so, yeah, Michael will be at New York Comic Con. Mm. I won't be. A fact that be. in no way annoys me. Should I just wear a t-shirt saying... Michael. <laughs> I'll just... Kids. No, you should wear your Two Freaks t-shirt. I was going to say, should I wear a t-shirt that says Kids Mix... And people are like, what does that mean? I said, well, there's someone else with a t-shirt that says, hey, com, but it doesn't work. <laughs> I have to stand on the side of it. Yeah. Okay, that still wouldn't work. Mine should say, hey, k-, and yours should say, it's comics. Well, I was implying that it would be, hey, kids, on the mm. top part, oh, and right. comics underneath. Right. <laughs> anyway, yeah. why one of us does that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know anything about that film. Uh, Michael's going to be a comic, New York Comic Con. Which would be very exciting for you. Yeah. So if you love, say hi. Yeah. And give him presents for me. Yeah, give him pl- plenty of money. I'll accept <laughs> as well. <laughs> You'll accept money. Yeah. For all these years of free entertainment, you will accept dollars in the waistband. I will, I will, I will. Yeah. Especially while you're over there with that Monopoly money, you'll happily take that off their hands. Oh, I really will, yeah. <laughs> okay, alright, yeah, so if you love, say hello. Should we do an email? Oh, okay, look. Or three. I forget how many we've got for this show because they're going about two. Yeah, they're going back a while. Uh, it's called "If I Took a Holiday." Hello, Leyland. It's Chris. It's Chris Franklin. Hi, Chris. Well, looky here. Another Hey Kids Thursday is saved, and this week it really needed saving. I think Chris needs to elaborate on how we managed to save Thursday because okay. I never could get the hang of Thursdays. Did Santa get lost? <laughs> no, that was all about Christmas stories. Right, when okay. we saved Christmas. Yeah. That's a completely different thing. Uh, Chris continues, As a Batman fan, I hate to admit it took me a long time to get around to reading The Long Halloween. I can admit I admire Tim Sale's craft and his consistency in playing that craft, but not a big fan of his art style. It takes me a bit to get into. As for Loeb, well, this story and its convoluted ending, tell me the guy just has problems sticking the landing. He can really get you riled up or excited for a story, but the wheels tend to fall off as soon as you coast across the finish line. Or another analogy, it's like many Looney Tunes cartoons. 90% of them are classic, but that last 10% the wrap-up is often weak and unsatisfying. Hearing you guys examine this in depth, this entire series seems to fall apart, and Batman looks like a real derp. I think history has placed this one on a pedestal a bit higher than it deserves. I will say that sales art actually grew on me as I read this first go-round, to the point I've been picking up Captain America White. It's not bad, but is the epitome of decompressed comic storytelling. Wow. Well, Captain America White's come up in two short episodes' time. That's l- I like how Chris did that. He like, plugged our own it's show. It's like he knew. It's brilliant, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's very good. As much as I believe Identity Crisis is overrated, I have to say it holds out much better as a mystery than this, even though it still relies on a lot of characters acting out of character to move the mystery along. Oddly enough, as Michael pointed out last time, the wife of the hero was behind it there as well, for similarly selfish reasons. Well, Alan and Emily Middleton covered uh, Identity Crisis, and it was always in our book, so I kind of held back a bit, because they'd just done it. But I I think we may be able to squeeze Identity Crisis over summer. Okay. What do you think? Yeah. Well, when I come back for summer, it's, what, three months? Yeah, so we're, not, we're not going back to weekly. We're not doing 12 shows. We, we will do as many as we get <laughs> recorded and written, but I'm not going back to a weekly release. That ain't happening. I was busting the gut towards the end of the run. I'm 
doing it like this has been more fun. Yeah, because you're not doing it as a chore. Yeah, it has. It has been actually getting back into doing. I'm currently writing Captain America White. Right. And getting back into doing continuity and nitpicks, I had completely forgotten how much fun that was. It's I love it. I love this. Is an issue of Sergeant Fury. Let's find this issue of Sergeant Fury. I love all of that. I think it's great. Anyway, Chris has continued. Uh, Chris continues, I should say. Uh, you know, modern writers could have ran with this story, or any version where Batman and or Bruce were friends with Dent, as the reason why Batman doesn't trust his fellow heroes. But to my knowledge, they never have. I don't recall Dick, Dick Victory. Everybody loves Dick Victor. I don't recall Dark Victory as well, so I'm looking forward to your take on it. And we'll agree that everything is a bit better with Chuck Dixon, especially Batman. Oh, and I'm with you on that Batman annual. Cindy and I brought that up on the Supermates plug episode, where we discussed the most improved characters on Batman the Animated Series. Helfer's origin for Harvey was the first point toward him having psychological problems, before he was scarred by Moroni. This series and Batman the Animated Series took the ball and ran in different directions, but Helfer deserves the credit. Take uh, Chris. Yes, he does. That was Batman Annual, was it 14? Got a great Neil Adams cover of the Two-Face. You've probably seen the cover right, at okay. some point, even if you've not read the issue. Uh, the Wonder of the Long Halloween is the next email. I think this is from uh, Nathaniel Wayne. Yes, it is. Hello, Nathaniel. Hello, Leylands. I was delighted to hear your coverage of Batman The Long Halloween, and not just because you played a promo for my podcast, although that certainly was appreciated. It's been one of my favourite Batman stories for quite some time now. Oh, do you always not get um, a little bit of a tingling in your spider sense when somebody says, I was delighted you were covering one of my all-time favourite Batman stories, and then you took a huge dump on it. Sorry, Nathaniel, let's carry on with the email and see where we go with this. I have to confess to not having revisited it for years, so it was interesting to listen to a review that was more critical of the work than my nostalgia. Sale is a one-of-a-kind artist and definitely best suited for these sort of self-contained runs, because, as you point out, his character designs can get outlandish at times. I'd hate to be the Joker's dentist, and work best in their own little world. I've kind of forgotten how the book goes a little bit off the rails at the end, but on reflection, I do realise that pretty much all the stuff I truly love is in the first two-thirds. I don't think the ending botches it, but it isn't the strongest part of the story, to be sure. Touching back on Snyder's Batman run for a second, I have to admit that I may have given City of Owls the short shrift because I only know it from the trade volume, which contains only the issues of Batman's own title. I never read the crossover pieces, so perhaps when taken in total scope it works better. That said, Talon's monologuing, both in volume and content, still wrecks the whole thing for me, regardless. So it's one of those cases where even if the crossover aspect is phenomenal, it will only make this overall story slightly less bad in my estimation. Sincerely, Nathaniel Way. Well, thank you for emailing in, Nathaniel. But we may get to more Snyder stuff. Yes, now that, now that it's ended. Now that it's ended, well, yeah. ending. Yeah, well, even if he comes back like he's doing Detective Comics, he's not going to be working with Capullo for a while, is he? For six months. Capullo's off. Mark Miller title for it could be So it could be late, years. yeah, <laughs> is what you're saying. Nathaniel also give us a healthy couple of paragraphs of what his problems with Brian Azaro's Wonder Woman run which I did ask him about right. in a previous episode you probably don't remember do you okay, nice. it's exceptionally good stuff I just felt it was a little bit too long for this show so I read it thank you I did appreciate it Nathaniel um, you did spoil it for me but given that I was never going to read it I don't really care fair <laughs> enough I don't, I don't think I'd like it I don't like Brian Azarello's stuff okay as a rule I didn't mind 100 Bullets yeah. But I didn't like For Tomorrow. I didn't like that Batman arc he did with the guy he did 100 Bullets with. Yeah. I don't like the sound of Lex Luthor. 
right. the miniseries okay. that he did. Yeah. So at this point, I'm I'm kind of of the opinion. Let's just go our separate ways, Brian. Fair enough. One hundred bullets was all right. Let's just leave it there. I'm surprised that's not been made into a TV show. He nearly turned it into a game. The yeah, but it got cancelled. Because right, it, it's kind of ripe for a TV show, that premise, isn't it? Yeah. 100 bullets. Anyway, we, have, we do have another email. Batman Daredevil, I agree with Michael. Which is from Patrick Dellum. Oh, I love it when email stuff. Do you like that? I reread The Long Halloween in anticipation of your most recent show. I was 15 when the series started. I think I was able to buy the first four issues, but with no steady source of income, I had to give it up as a loss. I did love the series at the time and tried to get my dad into it. He found the art to be deceptive, thinking it was trying to tell a separate story than what the writer wanted. He did not make it to the Joker issues. I would examine the front and back of the rest of the series at my local comic shop. and did the same with Dark Victory, hoping it would come out in trade and that the library would have it. I feel like mine is the last generation were when you were a kid, finishing a comics or TV storyline had more to do with luck than determination. I was 20 when I bought both the Long Halloween and Dark Victory trades. Soft cover for the former and half cover for the latter. Michael is right. Dark Victory's paper stock is awful. The paper isn't just super reflective, it's a mould magnet. I spent five years in a fairly dank first floor apartment and the book puffed up like a chubby ginger with a bee sting. <laughs> Alright, so, so the actual paper is of lesser quality there. Yeah. Right, okay. Because we were, we were responding purely to the tactile and the reading of it. Yes. Because um, I was doing this with your mum the other day in Waterstones. After that, which is what you were thinking, we were looking. At, I can show the two trade. <laughs> Michael's first then was funny. I showed a two trade paperbacks off similar size, similar girth, similar page count. Okay, okay. One was Batman, uh, the Red Robin, the Red Hood storyline. Okay, the Judd when it won, where he brought it back. Yeah, yeah. And another was Batman's Second Chances, which was reprinting the early Jason Todd books. Right. Okay. And I, I showed them to her, and I flipped them over and showed her the prices. Second Chances is fourteen ninety nine. Right. The Jason Todd one, Red Hood one, yes. £22.50. Was that down to the paper? Paper stock. Right. Now, Mark Ward has said in an interview, paper stock makes no difference. I can't believe that. Yeah. I have the evidence of mine own eyes, Second Chances Trade is that nice rough paper that they're also printing the new Teen Titans reprint on. Right. And the Deathstroke trades. Whereas the Red Hood one is that glossy crap that they put on everything else. Yeah. And it was much heavier. Right. So the evidence of mine own eyes and yep. my own feeling of the weight and the price of those books lead me to believe there is something in the paper stock that they're using. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, I, I was more inclined to buy the Red Hood trade had it been only 15 quid and on that paper. Right. Twenty two fifty on that glossy paper. I was like, no, I don't want it. Fair enough. So I, I, I agree entirely with what Patrick is saying there. Because the paper stock does play into whether you... It certainly plays into whether I buy something, if it's if it's the cost of it. If, yeah. it's, if it parlays into the price. But I'm a cheap bastard. Anyway, Long Halloween doesn't hold up to scrutiny very well, continues Patrick. It's a nostalgia piece through and through, and I'll hold on to the trade. Wasn't there a Batman Daredevil crossover in the 90s where Daredevil had his stupid grey costume? I'd love to see a modern take where Daredevil goes to Gotham whilst Batman goes to New York. Daredevil would make short work of Batman's rogues just finding them and beating them up rather than waste his time solving the puzzles they normally leave for the Dark Knight. Batman, on the other hand, would be put through his paces trying to fight Bullseye and Elektra, as well as the Kingpin, who is his greatest weakness, a really big guy trained in martial arts. That sounds like a really good idea. So what you're proposing there, Patrick, is a non-crossover crossover. Yeah. So in the course of the story, Batman and Daredevil wouldn't actually meet. Apart from... 
So Matt Murdock yeah. gets on the plane from New York to Gotham as Bruce Wayne's getting off the plane, and they just kind of nudge into each other. Oh, sorry, sorry yeah, about that. Yeah. And that's the only time they meet. Do you know what actually may work? Just for the, the visceral thrill of seeing Batman take on the Kingpin and Elektra and Bullseye. That would be great. Mm. Pitch that, Patrick. <laughs> just don't let Bendis write it. Thank you for your show. That <laughs> podcast. And for reading this long email. Long live Hey Kids Comics. Pat Patrick. Is it? Because he said long live. Okay. Which is nice. Last email tonight is from Andrew Morton. Hello, Andrew. Hi, Andrew and Michael. It's been a while since I read The Long Halloween. That seems to be a common refrain, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's like everyone read it, put it on a shelf. And just never went back to Over it. time, it, it built up this legacy around itself. Like, with being the inspiration for Batman Begins and The Dark yeah. Knight and Nolan talking it up and Christian Bale saying that's what he read that got him interested in saying yes to doing it and no one's actually pulled it off the shelf and reread it I think that was for the best and based on what we found yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking you were right doesn't hold up anywhere near as well as his Colours trilogy or Superman for All Seasons doesn't I've still not read that Superman for All Seasons is brilliant see, I remember reading all three of them the ba- two Batmans and the Superman one mm. and I didn't rate the Superman one as much as the Batman ones Superman for All Seasons still holds up Okay. Because essentially, there's no real story to it. Michael Bailey just had me on Views from Longbox to talk about this. Yeah. There's no actual story to it. Okay. So there's nothing for Love to bollocks up. Yeah. It's basically just a bit of retelling of Superman going to Metropolis for the first time as Clark Kent. So there's a little bit of Smallville in there, and then he goes to Metropolis, he meets Lex Luthor. That's the story. Okay. So uh, there's there's no real storyline to speak of for him to mess up, so there's no big mystery. Yeah. There's no big twist ending to make you go, huh? And the art is just gorgeous. I think Superman for All Seasons is Tim Sale's best work. All I right. really do. You should read it while you're off. Okay. Won't take you half an hour. Fair enough. I'm telling you. But what will take you long, just looking at, at the work, looking at the art. It's absolutely yeah. brilliant. If we get to meet Tim Sale again, that's where I'll get into Sam. Anyway, Andrew's email. I remember having many of the same thoughts you expressed. I'm surprised it is one of those best Batman stories ever, since Batman was a grade one idiot, the timeline was wonky as hell, and the ending made no sense. I don't remember having read Dark Victory. Hope it's a less woolly story. But looking forward to your coverage nonetheless. Thank you, Andrew Morton. Well, thank you very much for emailing in, Andrew. And thank you to everyone who emailed in. As we say every time we dust ourselves off for one of these specials, we still like getting emails. Michael likes mm-hmm. reading them, don't you? I do. Especially I do. the ones that say Michael was right. I read them when I'm at uni sometimes, just to feel connected. <laughs> just to feel like we're still doing it every week. Yeah. <laughs> The weekly grind. All right, okay, we'll plug somebody's show. It may be for one of those new Fire and Water Network podcast shows, because they've started a new network. So we may plug that. And then we'll be back with Iron Man Extremis. Or Extremis. How do you pronounce it? Extremis. Oh, okay. Hi, friends. It's your old pal, Adam Worth. You may remember me from podcasts like Comic Book Fight Club, The Quantum Cast, and the thousands of other shows I somehow get roped into making guest appearances on. The podcasting world has been very good to me, and I feel it's about time that I give back. So coming this spring, I'll be helping to make the world a better place with my new show, The Bad Advice Show. Join me and a few <clears throat> choice panelists as we answer your questions on life, love, relationships, history, life hacks, and politics. Really, 
whatever topics you feel you would like to get my valued opinion on. So hop on the advice train as we make the world a better place coming this spring to an internet streaming device near you. To have your questions answered on The Bad Advice Show, send us an email at thebadadviceshow at yahoo.com. That's thebadadviceshow at yahoo.com. And remember, kids, if you want to remain anonymous, don't tell me your name. Johnny Stark makes you feel he's a cool exec with a heart of steel. And Iron Man all jets of blaze. He's fighting and sniping with repulsor rays. A blazing armor. Yes, Iron Man. A blazing bomber. Kim or Loathing, when Joe Quesada first came to power as the main creative force behind Marvel Comics in the year 2000, he tackled the task head on. Alongside publisher Bill Jemes, Quesada started as he meant to go on. He stripped every single one of Marvel's comics to their essence, altering creative teams, changing how the books were written, how they looked, the paper they were printed on, everything. Even the feel of the comics changed. Quesada brought an indie sensibility to Marvel, a rough and ready feeling that anything could happen. Granted, Quasada didn't really have a great deal of choice. The marvel Quasada inherited was on the ropes. Recently declared bankrupt, the company was sowing the seeds of the excessive 90s, and Quasada was brought into a company with nothing to lose. Quasada's bullish nature put a lot of noses out of joint, both professionally and amongst fans, but he was exactly what Marvel needed at that time. Not everything Quasada threw at the wall stuck, but whatever you think about the man and his motor mouth, he turned Marvel around. He took a moribund company and made it a juggernaut of a kind that, when Disney bought Marvel Comics, everybody thought this was a great deal rather than a huge mistake. The many Marvel movies that are currently cleaning up at the box offices of the world owe an awful lot to how Joe Quesada and the creative teams he employed reinterpreted these characters for the 21st century. Whilst the writers may have returned to the original source material for films like Captain America, The Avengers and The Incredible Hulk, the look of those films owes an awful lot to the work of Ed Brubaker, Steve Epting, Brian Hitch and Bruce Jones. But none of this is more true than of Iron Man and the work of Warren Ellis and Addy Granoff. Iron Man as a character had had a tough time of it. After some great work from David Michelini and Bob Layton, the character started to flounder in the mid-1990s, and he was one of the Marvel characters leased out to Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld to reboot under the title Heroes Reborn. After this experiment didn't really yield the results Marvel wanted, the character returned to the Marvel Universe with Heroes Return, a fan favourite run by Kurt Busiek and Sean Chen. This too ultimately floundered, and Quasada attempted to write the title himself for a while, but, by his own admission, found himself unable to get a useful handle on the character. In desperation, Quasada turned to writer Warren Ellis. Ellis had built a reputation as being very interested in futuristic science fiction, focusing on nanotechnology, cryonics, mind transfer and human enhancement. After a conversation with Quasada, both men agreed that the premise for this new version of Iron Man would be Test Pilot for the Future. Which is a great tagline. Mm. Like, damn dur. <laughs> Iron Man, test pilot for the future. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. That's a good tag, that. Ellis reread only the first few Iron Man stories from the 60s before deciding that this was all he really needed to know before embarking upon his run. To illustrate this futuristic version of Iron Man, Quasada selected Addy Granoff. 
influenced by Mobius, Bilal, Libertur, and Drus Truzan, Granoff's digitally painted style was very different to how Iron Man had been portrayed in the past, but he quickly became one to watch, and was hugely influential on the 2008 Iron Man movie. Extremis was published in Invincible Iron Man Volume 4, Issues 1 through 6, cover dated January 2005 through May 2006. Yes, lovely listener, you heard that right. This six-issue series took nearly 15 months to come out. It was written by Warren Ellis with art by Adi Granov. Do you really think this was worth 15 months? No. (laughs) What took so long? Uh, You can see Adi Granov's decline in artwork. Can you? Because I don't think it's great to begin with. No, there's a decline. Is there? Alright, well I'll let you point that Uh, out, boy. Well, have you not noticed how at the beginning everything's so technical and precise and then you get to the middle and it's just it looks like he's doing some quick digital painting. I didn't think everything at the beginning looked technical and precise. Okay. But anyway, well, you you can talk about the art a bit more, but certainly script-wise, I can't believe this took Warren Ellis 15 months to write. Yeah. Unless, he, you know, he was ill for, like, a year. Or couldn't be asked. That as well. <laughs> Let's lean more towards that. <laughs> Granoff also provided the covers for all six issues. Every single one of them is a poster image for a movie that didn't exist at the time. Issue 1 is Iron Man flying. Issue 2 is Iron Man from a low angle, charging up a repulsor beat. Issue 3 is Tony Stark, his hair flying in the breeze like a Timothy commercial, holding the Iron Man helmet in his hands. Issue 4 is Iron Man flying. Issue 5 is Iron Man lighting up both repulsor beams as a young lady in low-slung jeans rubs his chest, like it's a James Bond poster. And Issue 6 is Iron Man tearing something up. They're all very much of a muchness. Good if you like Granov's art but boring, repetitive poster images otherwise. Yeah. They're interesting, but they kind of lack any dynamism or excitement. Anything. Yeah, and one of Quizada's initiatives when he took over Marvel seemed to be to just tell his artists to do covers that were as bland as possible. Yeah. They're not... The first one's all right. It's the first issue of a new series. I, I, accept, uh, I expect, sorry, a poster cover for issue one. Right. All right. So, so what? Do you, the, the first one is fine. Yeah, yeah, We're both in agreement yeah. on the first one. The second one, dull. Yeah. Low shung angle of him. You know, it looks like it doesn't look like he's doing anything dramatic with the repulsor. It looks like he's just using it as a torch. Yeah. You know, like on your phone, <laughs> like he's dropped something under the table and he's just trying to find it. So, so that one's rather tedious. It's just concept art, though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, number three's even more. Iron Man, with the helmet in his hand, with the wind <laughs> bustling as his hair, as he poses dramatically. What, what's in any way dynamic about that piece of art for a cover? He's selling shampoo. <laughs> well, maybe that's where Tony gets some of his money from. It's, it's all endorsement deals. Issue five, like I say, is Iron Man flying again. Issue four, sorry. He used that in Iron Man colouring book when the movie came out. Did they? Yeah. Well, because I would imagine it's quite easy for him to bleed the colour out of it and just republish it. Yeah. it. But it's, again, it's Iron Man flying. It's we saw that on issue one. It's a more interesting take than the first one. Do you think? He's, you think that's more doing interesting? doing something. It's a bit more dynamic. It does look like he's about to shoot me in the first with a repulsor beam. That, yeah. So, all right, okay, we'll, we'll go with that. We'll, we'll happily go along with that. Um, that one's a James Bond poster. Yeah. Iron Man with both torches in his hands this time. So he's dropped something really big. He's he's. It's like... He's doing a take on the, the ghetto guns, <laughs> holding them sideways, but with his hands. Don't look right, does it? Or, and then, or he's preaching. He's laying down, <laughs> some, <laughs> laying down some truth yeah, yeah. about the man. And then you've got, I presume that's Maya. Yeah. 
even though it doesn't look much like Maya. That belt looks very uh, useless. Yeah, it's not attached to anything. No, so it's like why is she even wearing so that? So as technical as Eddie Granov is with his his armor, that belt doesn't work. So yeah, so that covers. I want to be James Bond when I grow up. Which is essentially what they try to turn Tony Stark into, isn't it? Yeah. And then issue six's cover, which I can't find because it's on a different page, is Iron Man touring through something metallic. So something's happening on that one. I suppose you can argue, yes, something is happening. Fair play. All right. I'll is that, that really what what we're how we're giving out credits? We're, we're, we're now giving cre- yeah. We're so now giving based on whether something's happening. Whether actually something anything <laughs> is happening. Oh, Iron Man's taking. A <laughs> thumbs up, <laughs> The strain on his face, though. I wish I could portray strain on somebody's face like that. Yeah, you know, alright, fair enough. Uh, my copy of this is, is signed by Adi Granoff. It is? Who I have no memory of meeting. Really? Not at all. He's, he's there every year. Yeah, I mean, he's, he clearly did. Was it not just, he's the, I've got this, might as well? Possibly, but I'm sure he don't remember meeting me either. That's true. Unless he sat at home now listening to this. <laughs> weeping into his <laughs> A single <soup>. tear. <laughs> A single man tear. <laughs> as he goes, but meeting Andrew was the highlight of my day. <laughs> Entire career. <laughs> oh, well, he's not going to be happy with me at the end of the show, is he? Let's be honest. I think I've just buried the lead there. <laughs> I don't know on what I thought of the artwork. Anyway, I will recap issue number one. Issue number one probably has the longest recap of the series because it yeah. does a lot of setting up. The rest of it is like two paragraphs. Uh, on November 7th, a young man named Mallon, remember that, is injected with a new chemical. After a few moments of nothing, his eyes become bloodshot and he starts vomiting black goo. His friends leave him to it, locking the door behind them. On November 9th, Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man, is rudely awakened to attend a meeting. In Austin, Texas, at the offices of Future Farm, Dr. Aldrich Killian shoots himself through the head. His emails, discovered by Dr. Maya Hansen, reveal he has sold something called Extremist to bad people. This is presumably the chemical Malin drugged himself with earlier on. In New York, Coney Island to be exact, Tony takes his meeting with John Pillinger, a documentary filmmaker. Pillinger starts to ask Tony about his past as an arms dealer. Pillinger clearly has an agenda, peppering Tony with questions about his many and varied weapons projects over the years. Pillinger then targets the Iron Man suit, asking what, if any, practical application it has, other than being used to protect Stark. Tony finally gives Pillinger his full attention, pointing out all the good work Stark Industries has done. He knew there'd be blood on his hands, but he has tried to put that tech to good use as well. He's trying to improve the world. As Pillinger leaves, Tony asks him, has his films changed anything? When Pillinger replies he doesn't know, Tony says he has no idea if his work has either. In Bastrop, Texas, Malin's body begins to stir. Tony returns to his garage, bothered by Pillinger's interview. He wonders if Iron Man is a military application. Whilst recapping his origin for newbies, Stark dons the new Iron Man suit and takes it for a test flight, zooming past the people protesting Stark Industries as he does so. As he flies, he takes a call from Dr. Maya Hansen. She is, we find, a woman from Stark's past. He tells her that the private jet is being fuelled and he'll be there as soon as he can. Malin's friends return to the warehouse. The door is damaged and a mess, but Malin is alive. Um, my copy of this is the Hatchet series of Marvel graphic novels. And this is volume 43. As we record this, this is back on the stands this week. Is it? They're re-releasing them all. Right. With different numbers on the sides. Ooh. How does that work? I don't know. I don't know. Well, the, the hatchet paperback, trade paperback, 
hardcovers, sorry, they're not trade paperbacks. Initially, they started being quite good at 9.99 each. Yeah. And then you, I bought all of the original 60, yeah. and then they extended it to 100. You spent 60 pound on that. Yeah, that's that's quite. To try more than that, 60 pound would only be six issues, dude. So, oh, oh. Yes. So when they extended it past issue 60, I stopped buying them. And there's currently, I mean, it must have been successful because then there's another Marvel lot of with red covers. Yeah. They're republishing these ones, so somebody's buying them, and now DC and Judge Dredd have their own, as does Doctor Who. Right. Okay. So they must have been successful. Yeah. And for £10 for a hardcover graphic novel, yeah. when you consider that a lot of this stuff, even in trade paperback, this Iron Man Extremist book is probably going for, what, 15, 20 quid? Mm. So they're not bad value, are they? No, I suppose. What's weird is, right, so they all have the pictures on the side. Yes. And they all one big picture. Yeah, when you've got them all, yeah. all 60 of them make one picture. All 60 of them one big picture. Mm. And if they have all these different volumes... By Andy Granoff. Yeah. Or is it, um... I can't remember what he's called. No, that's Andy Granoff, I think. It looks like someone else. All right, well, you ponder that. It'll come back to I you. I know who it is. I can't remember his name. I can't. I'm sure it's Andy Granoff. It's not. Okay, all right. It's, I'm sure it's not. Right. Anyway, right. So, so you say you've got all 60 Marvel ones. Which I have. And all 60 DC ones. I don't know if they're doing 60 DC, but your point is taken. Okay. Who has bookshelves that long? We would, you'd have to custom, like mine is split up over two. Yeah, split up two. Who's Probably. got shelves that long? Well, that's, that's another reason the DC one is especially interesting. There's lots of good stuff in there. But again, a lot of it we've got. Yeah. But with the DC one, a lot of it I've not got as trades. I've got it as issues. And I was kind of, should I buy these to have the convenience of having them in a trade paperback? Yeah. But the DC one as well, it's a, there's a lot of the Green Lantern stuff. We've got those as trades. Right. Crisis and Infinite Earths I've got as an absolute. Yeah. Death of Superman I've got as the issues. And it's like, no, I don't really want to waste the money on something I've already got. But if you'd see them on eBay for a quid, I'll have them. Don't or if you want to give them me. Don't want to waste your money on stuff. I know, but I, I, I made the mistake with the Marvel <laughs> one of buying them. And then you know where I'm like, I don't stop buying them. <laughs> but I did pack it in with issue 60. I thought, I'm not, I'm not buying the next 40 volumes of this, not at these prices. But there are some like where I'm thinking I may buy one or two of the DC ones yeah. you know, that I don't have. Where you're like, well, for 10 quid, that's not bad at all. They are quite interesting in what they collect. So, they're all in chronological order, right? Yes, which makes me wonder about the renumbering, but go on. So, but what's quite good about them is you'll get one of them, say, volume one of the Straczynski Thor. Yeah. So, you get yourself a story. Six but, issues. But then you go like, oh, I quite like this, and then you buy more. Yeah. So, it's quite a good first reading. So. It is quite a decent primer. It starts, the first volume is Iron Man Demon with a bottle. And then the next one is Days of... Not Days of Future Past, Dark Phoenix Saga. Yeah. And then Alan Moore's Captain Britain and Craven's Last Hunt and, and Secret Wars. And it builds up through the 80s, through the 90s. The last volume is Secret Invasion. Yeah. So it builds as far as that. So you've got Civil War in there. And, but for me, the more eclectic ones were the interesting ones. Like, um, they've got some of Mark Waid and Mike Oringo's Fantastic Four, one story yeah. arc, the Unthinkable. Yeah. The Doctor Doom story arc, isn't it? And the Doctor Strange book yeah. by my, Brian K. Vaughan and Marcus Martin. Yeah. They were the more interesting ones for me, the ones that, you know, weren't necessarily what you'd think of. Mm. Like Planet Hulk and World War Hulk's in the Spider-Man Blue's in, but oddly Daredevil Yellow and Hulk Grey aren't. Well, again, is that not just an example of that work, and then you go yeah, by the so, others? Yeah, I suppose so. So if you liked him, you'd go and buy... Like, the first volume of Ultimate Spider-Man's in. Welcome Back Frank's one of them. Two volumes of uh, all-new X-Men. Yeah, the, um, the Grant Morrison one. There's a volume of Joss Whedon's X-Men. So the, it is... 
as I think it's a very good primer for people who've got into Marvel through the films. Yeah. So maybe that's why they're re-releasing these. Maybe as the films have gone on, they never expected them to be as successful as they have been. Yeah. They've thought, well, we'll republish the first volumes because they're not as easy to get hold of anymore. Mm. But so as as we record this, which is no use to you when you hear it, lovely listener. But this extremist volume is on the side. I don't get the renumbering. I don't get that at all. Yeah. So if you're buying the second set. They're in a completely different numbered order. Oh, it's, well, not, not, it's not, not what they're going after. Well, it may be, it may be. See, the, the, the DC one have an Alex Ross image on the cover. Right. On the sides, when you get all the issues, sorry. Yeah. That, that's an Alex Ross issue. But where they score over is they also have the title of the book. Right, okay. Whereas the Marvel ones don't, do they? They just have no. volume 43. So you have to kind of guess that this was Iron Man x Well, they have the pictures on it. Yeah. So if it's it's you can make an educated guess. Yeah, so it's like oh that's a picture of Tim Gwen Stacy by Tim Sales. By that's Blue, obviously Spider Man Blue. Yeah. Oh that's that's um, yeah. But if this is being aimed at people not as versed in the Marvel universe as you and I, if it's someone not as versed in the Marvel universe as you and I, then I don't think the name of the story matters. Yeah, true. All right. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But I do think I liked that from a point of view of it as the name on because it just has it tucked away at the bottom. Yeah. Well, like the DC ones, I think is an interesting selection as well. I, I do find they are targeting the movie audience yeah because both of them the the dc ones is primarily new stuff right although crisis and infinite earth well the marvel stuff the they started at 1980 the largest batch of them is the modern stuff yeah so again it is definitely targeting the the whatsapp yeah although they have started going back like the red volumes are the classics yeah there's classic volumes so you've got the death of gwen stacy in there and of Silver Surfer, First Prince of Silver Surfer's in some of them, and yeah. that kind of thing. Anyway, yeah, so we've just plugged hatcheted series of Marvel graphic novels, for which we didn't get paid. No, we didn't. And they didn't give us any freebies. Um, as with an awful lot of Warren Ellis's work, this is lethargically paced, mm. isn't it? But unlike a lot of writers, Ellis, I thought for the most part in this, he pulled off the slow burn. Did thought, you? Yeah, he, he doles out the information slowly. Let's let's you the reader piece together a lot of it in the first issue. Mm. Like he doesn't make it immediately obvious that Aldrich Killian's involved with this. Yeah. You piece that out as you all right. Okay, so he's sold this to all right. I get what's going on. As with all of comics of the Quasada era, it feels like a film. Yeah, more than well, a comic. Well, that's what Ellis goes for, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's not a bad thing in the hands of a competent writer. It's when you've got people like Mark Miller who are clearly writing it to sell the film rights. Yeah. And that applies more to his Millerverse stuff than it does to what's his name, to his I Marvel stuff. The only time I've liked the whole movie in a comic form is All-Star Superman. But I would argue All-Star Superman doesn't do that. Oh, you mean in the credits? The credits yeah, are very movie. Yeah, because the way it is... You, it's the it's just the way they've decided to tell the story and the way they decided to put it together. It's mm. a storytelling technique. Yeah. So it's they're just borrowing from the films and putting it into a comic. But I'd argue All Star Superman reads like a film. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Well, I get what you said. They've done the credits like a movie poster. Yeah. Which irritates. Well, what I'm saying is the telling the they've decided to make the comic just be a, a film mm. in comic form. Right. I don't think that's a problem instead of just turning a comic into a film. Okay. Whereas this feels very much like you could film this and that's yeah. what they're going for. Yeah. Like you said earlier on, the cover is concept art. This yeah. looks like the storyboards to a film. Yeah, because we've got <clears throat> two pages at the beginning mm. where it's just six panels of people walking. Yeah. 
It's very, it is the storyboards to a film. And that's what I mean by lethargically paced. Do we really need six panels of people walking and going into a room and setting up a laptop? Well, not setting up a laptop. Getting whatever it is out of that briefcase. Because yeah. you've got all this and it's slow for a couple of issues. But you've got two issues where it's just a fight yeah. with no dialogue. No. That's, well, well, we'll get to that later on. Um, so the introduction gives us Malin. Remember that. Remember his name. Uh, Stark's garage is very sparse compared to what we're used to in the movies now. Yeah. I do like he has a small bed in the corner, like that's where he lives. This is where Tony comes to get away from it all. Mm. And how dated is that mobile phone? Oh, there's a great bit coming up. Oh, is that that it can fav- download an MP3 yeah, in yeah. 30 seconds? That's my favourite bit of the and series. They're, they're talking about that like, <laughs> this is a huge deal. Well, can you download an album now in 10 seconds? Yeah, yeah. Well, the problem I had with Ellis on writing this yeah. was at the time, this was... Cutting edge. This was cutting edge stuff, but there's nothing more... Nothing, nothing dates more than cutting edge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's one of the problems the James Bond films have at the minute, isn't it? Mm. That technology has now caught up to James Bond. Yeah. So how do we do gadgets for James Bond? That's why they stripped it down, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Which makes sense. You get, like his most elaborate gadget in, in when he's given the thing you in Casino Royale. Yeah. It's a phone, Mr. Bond. Mm. <laughs> well, I, I quite like, I think with James Bond it works because you have all these gadgets and the more elaborate it is, the better it is. Well, that's, that's what the, the interesting thing they've done with the James Bond film is made him, that's what they've become about, isn't it? Why do we still need to send you when we've got drones and all yeah. these gadgets that can do your job? Which was what Spectre was about. Yeah. yeah, so they've basically turned it around to say, no, we still need a man in the field. Yeah. This is what we need. All the gadgetry in the world makes no difference if the guy in the field isn't any good. Mm. So it, I do find it interesting that Bond has now come full circle, and now he's not anti-technology, but, but he's it's... certainly saying, yeah, technology's brilliant, but I'm still better. Yeah. So that's quite... Yeah, but that is a very valid point about this series, that what was yes. cutting edge when this was written is now horrendously dated. It really is. It really it's, is, yeah. I did laugh. I laughed. It well, took I, me out of the story. The, what, the, how dated that line yeah. was. Yeah, I did the same thing. <laughs> I thought, in 30 seconds? Really? That's a good deal? <laughs> so, all right, fair enough. There's good... Alice's dialogue is good when he does it. Yeah, because they're trying to go for the Bendis, hmm, uh, mm, I, but not as... Yeah, but it's not as mannered. Yeah. He's, he's, Tony starts conversation here with um, his PA, Mrs. Rennie. He's actually quite funny. Although, I mean, you're not going to answer, know the answer to this, but where was Mrs. Arbo gassed? Do you remember ages ago, we did an issue of Iron Man from the 80s, with Peanut the dog. Okay. When Backslash, Backslash, you remember Backslash? I do, yeah. When Backslash killed Peanut the dog. Right. And it was, oh, Mrs. Arbo gassed was his PA. Okay. Why is this not Mrs. Arbo gassed? Maybe she got cut in the revamp. Well, see, is it because Ellis has only read the first issue of the 60s and doesn't know Mrs. Arbogast? That could be. Is is it perhaps in the interim time something has happened to Mrs. Arbogast? I don't know. Mm. My reading of Iron Man is I love all the early stuff through David Michelini yeah. and Bob Layton and John Jr. And then the I've read all the Denny and Eel stuff and the second Michelini run and then I've only read bits of the Kurt Busiek revamp. But I've not read any of the... Heroes Reborn or Team Tony yeah. which just seems like a horrendous mistake <laughs> and then of the m- more modern Iron Man this is all I've read I've just read the first Omnibus and the first bulk of the Fraction stuff right see I've not read any of that so something may have happened to Mrs Arbogast I did like Tony asking for an intravenous drip of coffee mm. that was quite funny and then we have this page that should be more important than it actually is because this sets up the end 
Yes. With how he sees himself in the mirror. Yeah. But it's not well done at all. It, it sets... This first page here is Tony looking in the mirror and not being able to look himself in the eyes. Yeah. And you're like, why? Mm. If this had happened after the interview with John Pillinger... Yeah. I would have bought it more. Because they're setting up here that Tony is dissatisfied with his life and his potential arms dealing before he's interrogated by John Pillinger. Yes. Whereas to me, the John Pillinger interview should be the inciting incident mm. that makes Tony re-examine his life. Yeah. So, I don't have a problem with the page, I have a problem with where they placed it. Mm. If he's already having second-guessing himself, then that doesn't really come out until after the Pillinger interview. Mm. But... If he's already second-guessing himself, what was the point of the Pillinger interview? Because I was expecting... Just to, just to hit it harder? Yeah, well, I was expecting the Pillinger interview, because Pillinger clearly has an, an agenda, yes. doesn't he? He's clearly got an agenda. And like all terrible interviewers, he refuses to let Tony answer any of the charges he's levelling against him. It's the Michael Moore approach. Yes, pretty much. I wasn't going to use a specific okay, person. All right, no, okay. no, but you're, you're fine. No, you're absolutely right. It's the Michael Moore approach. Yeah. It's the, I've got a specific agenda, yeah. and I'm going to follow that agenda, evidence be damned. Mm. And Tony proves that he's a terrible politician, because when he's allowed to speak, he actually answers the questions. Yeah. But his runaround of Pillinger at the end is quite good. Mm. What do you think your films have accomplished? And he's like, I don't know. Yeah. And Tony, instead of using that against him, Tony's like, well, I don't know what my work's done either. So that's a it's nice middle ground. For like, yeah. yeah. But like I said, if the Pillinger interview is supposed to set up his re-evaluation of his life, if he's already doing that before the Pillinger interview, the Pillinger interview serves no purpose. Yes. Because I, I don't know about you, I was expecting him to come back Right, okay, what, and at the end of it? Is yeah, I was expecting there to be some payoff to this John Pillinger interview. Like, Tony sees the film and he's done a hatchet job with the editing to make Tony seem like a real asshole. Yeah. Or he, he does a voiceover, he says, I met Tony Stark, he wasn't as bad as I thought he was going to be. I was expecting a payoff. Yeah. And there isn't one. No, it's just it's, it's just a tool Yeah. to just drive this character. Up. Yeah, to get oh, Tony yeah. to re-evaluate himself. And this plays into the question of if you think that what Tony is doing is a bad thing. Because mm. like Tony points out in this, they try to level that landmine thing at Tony's feet. You know, landmines are still out there, children are stepping on them, yeah. that's stark tech. And Tony seems to be taking this quite personally. And at no point does Tony start turn around and say, look, I, I don't plant them, I make yeah. them. Well, it's, it's that thing of whether are you responsible for the actions of other people using your creation. Yeah. It, is it and is it also more simplistic than that? Is it the guns don't kill people, people give people argument? Yeah. Is it that as well? Which is driven when they had the sign saying guns don't kill Tony Stark does. Yeah, so they've actually got placards out yeah. of the side when people are protesting Stark International. So there's, there's the problem with this, well one of the problems with it is that they have all these interesting character beats. But, and ideas. But then they just have obvious signposts hmm. like this could be a nice character beat that pays off later but then they have the obvious interview or yeah. his, his, his doubt in his work could be interesting but then they have the signs that signpost it see I'm, I, I was I picked this because I thought we've done enough DC of late let's do some Marvel so the next three episodes are all going to be Marvel and I picked this because I remembered you quite liked Iron Man of this era but I didn't I remember did. if you'd ever read Extremis. I remember this reading this digitally because it was all free on yeah, the Marvel website. It was. 
So that's why I picked it. And I was reading it, and, and we will get to final thoughts when we get to final thoughts, but I was reading it thinking, is this going to be one of those things where Michael and I just do not agree? Mm. But it seems to me you've got exactly the same problems with the story that I've got with it. I think, yeah. When I read it, it was n- newish. Yeah. So it was still, oh, this is cool, this is cutting edge, this is hip, modern, <laughs> down with it. So it... And reading it now, I feel it to be lazy. Yeah, you know, see, I don't want to say that about Warren Ellis because I really do like him as a writer. Warren Ellis, I'm divisive on. Mm-hmm. You can clearly tell just by reading his work when he's interested in the project. Yeah. Transmetropolitan is great because that's what he wants to write. Well, Spider Jerusalem is Warren Ellis. Yeah. I don't feel like he wanted to write this. I don't feel that he didn't necessarily want to write it. I think he had some really good ideas, as he often does, and then just didn't stick around to follow them up. Or didn't write a good enough story to back up those ideas. Yeah, that may be part of it as well. Um, And the Aldrich Killian scene. Aldrich Killian is played by Guy Pearce in Iron Man 3. After all these years, he's still Mike from Neighbours. He's a very different character in the film. Which does beg the question, at what point is the character in the film just the character from the comics in name only? Yeah. Does Is it that guy, if you name it that guy? No. Guy, guy Pierce in Iron Man 3 is not this Aldrich Killian. He's not in that, he's actually in the story. That as well. So you, you do have the thing that, well, so naming him was just a sop to comics fans then? Yeah, but I did feel reading this that this is clearly where all three movies are getting their ideas yes. from oh undeniably but unlike most movies the movies were better yes in that it, this is what was backing up that Ellis had the ideas but he didn't have a story well the, the people films explored is, them yeah. yeah no I don't disagree with you I do think that Aldrich Killian looks like the bad guy from Casino Royale he does who is also Hannibal he does what's his name Mads Mikkelsen Mad, well Tony Stark looks like Tom Cruise do you think? Oh, definitely. Come on. Really? You think? Right. Okay, so, what's the start noticing it? So, he's got a bit of Tom Cruise in that one. Mm-hmm. Because this is one of the problems with Ali Granoff is his likenesses aren't always. They don't <laughs> match from panel to panel, but close enough. Yeah. So, you get a few panels just like, oh, Tony Stark looks like Tom Cruise, but he doesn't on the next one. But it right. looks enough like Tom Cruise in one panel for you to then see that. Right. So now I've said Tony Stark looks like Tom Cruise. It, what's your flicking through this? I'll start seeing it. You'll start seeing it. All right, okay. Well, that's definitely Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah. Isn't it? It's Aldrich Killing. Oh, even weirder, the bad guy in it yeah. looks like Andy Granov. Does he? He really does. All right, so maybe he photographed himself for the bad guy. Yeah. All right, okay, that's fair enough. Uh, this Aldrich Killing we actually do feel sorry for. In his limited page time. Yeah. Because his guilt over what he's done overwhelms him and in the space of two pages he shoots himself through the eyeball. It's very unlikely for that to kill him though. Why? It's quite unlikely for you to shoot yourself in the eye and... What if he's got it angled up slightly so it goes through his brain? I suppose, but he's not. He's not, no, but I think the implication is, do you think we're going to end up with an arse first situation here? Or an arse eye. I mean, his last line is really quite sad. When he says, I've never been in love. Oh. Never. No one's ever loved but me. But is it, though? Oh, okay, go on. There is no reason for that dialogue to be, though. He's serving his purpose. That dialogue's just there to make... To try and make you feel sorry for him, and it failed. Oh, right, okay. It took me out. So you're saying that that dialogue is there purely to make you empathise with somebody, yeah. whereas the writer couldn't actually be bothered to write him in a way that you felt sorry for yeah. him, just naturally. So he's only in it right, for, okay. for two pages, right? Yeah. 
And it's like, okay, so he's kind of the bad guy because what he did was wrong, so let's make the uh, readers feel sorry for him. Mm. So I feel like that writing, that dialogue was unnecessary and kind of ruined the scene. Okay, alright. I, I felt it was a bit sad, but I, do, I see what you're saying. Mm. You know, maybe with a maybe in a comic that had more than six lines of dialogue per page, yeah. he would have established Aldrich Killian as a, a as a, a character before he did this. Yes. Back in ye olden days of comic subplots... Mm. Aldrich Killian and Maya Hansen and the Future Farm stuff may have been a bubbling subplot for five, six months yeah. before the actual extremist story arc. Mm. All right. This is not me saying comics are better and then we have or worse now. The next page. Maya Hansen. Is, is it... Who's also in Iron Man 3. Yeah. And again, it's a completely different character. Yeah. Is it setting up later on or is this just bad writing? Well, she walks in, she sees a dead body, she sees the suicide note and she walks out and she's fine. Yeah, because if this is the only setup for the twist ending, uh, there's no point even saying spoilers, we're talking about the comic. Maya turns out to be the bad guy. Or the 50% of the bad 50% guy. 50% of the bad guy, yeah. Uh, this is the only setup you get for that, but it's still remarkably obvious. Yeah. Did you think that when you were reading it? You're reading through it going, Aldrich Killian can't have been the only one in this. There has to be something else to this story. And Otherwise, because you wouldn't she... have that one page. Exactly. Oh, but. She's the only other suspect. Yeah. So there's no one else that it can possibly be. Now, it could have been, because this isn't a mystery, it's never really followed up that Tony thinks something suspicious is going on, is it? No. So you could have played out this whole story and Maya not be involved at all. Mm. And that probably would have been a bigger surprise to me. Yeah. Because I was going through this thinking, there's something else going on here. But the story doesn't support that. But then you get the ending where Maya is in on it. Mm. And you're like, alright, so I wasn't wrong when I was reading it. There is more going on here. But had that not been there, I may have been a bit more surprised. Alright, it was all Aldrich Killian. Yeah. See, in the film, Aldrich Killian shoots her through the head. He does. But she's, you know, I mean, she's not a different character. She's not the same character. Yeah. Played by Rebecca Hall. Well, it's not the same extremist. It's no, it's not. It's, it's taking the extremist idea and actually doing a better job with it, I think. It's because I don't. I'm not down on Iron Man three. It's oh, I really like Iron Man three. Oh, I do. Uh, it's a mix. I could be completely wrong, mm. but it's a mix of taking the extre- extremist idea in this, yeah. and marrying it with an idea that Matt Fraction used when it was a group of people who were essentially human bombs. Mm. So it's mixing that idea of human terrorism, turning themselves into weapons, and marrying it with extremists. Right, and that's what they did with the film. Right, which is a better idea. I suppose. You think? I think Extremis only exists to make Iron Man modern. Yeah. Well, then there is some element of true science in it. Yeah. Because it's Warren Ellis. I feel like this story, though, it's, it, it, it is Extremis. Mm. You've taken something old, the Iron Man concept, you've injected it with Extremis, mm. it, something new, Warren Ellis. Yeah. It then, it cocoons itself, doesn't it? Yeah. So the story gets wrapped up in itself, mm. it becomes its own story, but then... Out of that becomes something new. The new Iron Man, the new approach for Iron Man. Wow, you're, that's, that's really deep. <laughs> well done. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to make a really obvious point, as in contrast to your really deep one. Right, okay. <laughs> uh, the protesters outside Stark International all have placards, like you said earlier, on guns don't kill people, Tony Stark kills people. When Iron Man leaves later on, these same protesters talk about how cool Iron Man is. Mm. Which is an irony I presume Warren Ellis intended. Yeah. It would be rather silly that's, if didn't. That's the only dialogue on that page, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is the only dialogue. I was a bit disappointed with the Coney Island, though. Why? 
because I watched The Warriors the other week. Oh, did you? <laughs> so, it's yeah. on Netflix into the world. Warriors, come out and play. But did you like it? Oh, I, I do. I love The Warriors. Yeah, they're good. Okay. That could be turned into a TV show. It could. Where it begins and ends with them getting to another train station. Yeah. yeah. I'll watch that again on Netflix. Yeah. We'll do a policy glitch and about The Warriors. Okay, back to this, though. Back to Extremis, yes. Coney Island's just two buildings. Yes. In fact, in the entire story, there are only two buildings. Yes. Andy Granov has a real problem with backgrounds, isn't it? He does see... Well, the backgrounds are awful in this. The yeah, backgrounds are... Just, it's just textures. Yeah, that's all it is. I mean, I had a real problem with the art in this in this issue, but we'll talk about the art in a minute. Um, when Tony's been interviewed by Pillinger, we have flashbacks to his origin, and um, the sliver of metal that's near his heart is now a result of a landmine, which is what they're talking about in the interview. Yeah. It's been updated to be Afghanistan instead of the Vietnam of the original, but this couple of pages here and then the origin sequence in issue five is almost shot for shot of what they did in the first film. Well, uh, it's laser what? in this. So he's, he's, he's overseeing them shipping these landmines and mm. then they get attacked by people you can't see and then one of the landmines get hit and blows up on Tony. Yeah. Again, it's one of those where the idea is there, the update, the update is there, but the movie did it much better. Yes, the movie actually had him the... Well, not only was he doing the training video for the arms that he was selling, but he was also set up by um, the dude, yeah. Big Lebowski. Well, but without the setup, yeah, it's just they're attacked by the, the terrorists. They're attacked by insurgents. And he gets shot and blown up mm. with his own weapons like that. And that's taking this idea but better but doing a better job because the it. idea in the updates though up in Afghanistan it makes sense hmm. but it's lazy hmm. it's just this is my idea draw it <laughs> okay um, Tony records his thoughts when he's going through the, when he's divining his, Iron Man, his new Iron Man armour which is essentially just a new way of having him talk to himself yeah so was that just a homage to the Stan Lee thing where they would just toss themselves all the time? Mm. Or is it a, a new take on the Jeff Loeb, Frank Miller way of doing it, the internal monologue? Because yeah, I yeah. quite liked it, because it makes sense that Tony would record his thoughts as he's doing stuff like this. Well, he's used that before, haven't they? Yeah, because it's while he's just spitballing, he may come up with a brilliant idea. And that's why writers will just have a recorder on them, won't they? Yeah. So, I, I liked that. I liked that much more than the Jeff Loeb stealing Frank Miller thing. Yeah. Just being an internal monologue all the time. Um, and Tony's undergoing quite a crisis of confidence now, by the end of this first issue, thanks to Pillinger. These are some very poor pages. Yeah, well, it's not going to be an even-handed documentary, is it? Yeah. Which is why I thought we were going to get some payoff later, but we didn't. What's poor about the Iron Man flying pages? Because you've got some neat, neat drawings of Iron Man flying. I, I use the word drawings loosely. Yeah, but however well, you look at it, Adi Granov drew and painted these Iron Mans. Yeah. But these textures and just the, background. the heads up display that we can. It's lazy, it's poor. But was it all he could do at the time? I, I don't know, it's not that hard to draw a carousel. It's not that hard to make it look like the sea. Draw an airplane in there. Draw something other than textures. Right. Okay, see, I, I just thought the art was bland. Like, the art was the art. Well, I have no problem with Adi Granov. I think he's great. He's mm. like jo uh, John Cassidy. Right. But John Cassidy can draw backgrounds. I See, I find John Cassidy really boring. 
Well, they're both of the same. Yeah, they? yeah. They've both risen to prominence on this idea that they draw realistic. Yeah. Art. But Adi Granos a cover artist. Adi Granos a concept artist. He's not a sequential storyteller. Yeah, taking this suit that he's designed here and putting it on Tony Stark in the film. Yeah. You could like, oh yeah, brilliant. I can see how that works. But the 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 flying in the film is much more dynamic than the flying in this comic. Mm. And I, just, I would say that's still images versus moving images. But when John Byrne revamped Superman, even the people who didn't like John Byrne's revamp of Superman appreciated the flying poses. Yeah. No longer was he stuck in that pose with one arm up, one arm to his chest, one knee up. Yeah. He was upside down. He was flying. The cape wrapped around him. He flew backwards. He flew in all manner of different ways. It was dynamic and interesting. Yeah. And some of this, I, d- I do like that panel. I don't know what page it is because they don't number them. It's near the end of the first issue. It's the last panel of Iron Man like banking as he swoops. Mm. I like that. D- yeah, the background just looks fuzzy. Yeah. So th- I don't have a problem with his his, his, his figures. Yeah, it's right. like he draws the characters, but then gets bored and doesn't put a background on. Yeah. I don't know. See, it reminded me there was a book in the late nineteen nineties called Digital Justice, and it was one of the first computer-created comic yeah. books. Do you remember it? Have you seen adverts for it? No. Uh, I, I flicked through it in a comic book store once, and I put it back because I thought it looked ugly. This is an updated version of that. It's not ugly, mm. but I, I think it's really dated already. Yeah. And I think it will just continue to date as time goes on. This is the point you've already made. The problem with cutting edge is the edge is constantly moving. Mm. So, this represents digital art as it was ten years ago. Yes. When this was made. It's not timeless in the way that John Romita Jr. and Bob Layton's work on Demon with a Bottle is timeless. John Byrne's Dark Phoenix saga, timeless. Yeah. This isn't ti- This is already dated. And it's already... It's very stiff. Mm. It's not bad. I don't not like it. But I'd rather have Chris Samney yeah. and Marcus Martin any day of the week. Well, what's interesting is Adi Granov now works with coloured pencils and watercolours. Does he? Yeah. Right. So maybe he still does it digitally, but I know that's how he works most. Well, that's if I don't know how much Marcus Martin and Chris Samney do digitally. I'm sure they do. Mm. But it still looks like art. Yeah. It, this... I, again, I think it comes down to backgrounds. Yeah. I think a lack of background makes it look... This looks like cutscenes on those video games you play a lot. I wouldn't say it looks like that. It looks like, you know when they just take screenshots of movies and then turn them into comics? Like they used to do with Star Trek photo novels. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, they were just... Yeah, it, it looks like that. Yeah. But it doesn't have any of the imagination that John Byrne's current photo Star Trek novels have. Because mm. he is actually manipulating them and changing things yeah. and altering it. But this is stiffer than that. Yeah. In many ways. Because at least they're Burns using real actors. Mm. So the movements, even though it's a still image, seem realer. Yeah. Yeah, alright, fair enough. Uh, part two, Tony flies to Meyer. The board of Stark Industries then try to convince him that he needs to be in the office or promote somebody who can be in the office. Stark fears if that happens they will return to taking on military contracts. He is informed that they are the best way to make money. Tony arrives at Future Farm and speaks to Maya. He orders a complete search of Dr. Killian's hard drive by his tech team and takes Maya to see their friend Sal. Sal is an old hippie type talking about how America is now being run as a post-political corporate conglomerate and any scientist working had to get in bed with the military, the corporations and the government, which, he says, are all the same thing. 
He points out that early man took psychedelic mushrooms and later research proved they improved visual acuity. They made man a better hunter. Isn't that what Tony is doing with the Iron Man suit and Maya with Extremis? Making a better human? What, Sal asks, are they both doing, really? They are interrupted by a message on Maya's phone. They tune in to CNN to see an FBI HQ in Houston ablaze and many agents and civilians dead or dying. This, the news network says, was all the work of one man. Maya freezes. She recognises this as actually being the work of extremists. Someone took the formula and lived. It was Malin, who seems to have changed his name to Madden. And he's only just gotten started. Did you notice that? I didn't, actually. Why is he Madden in this one issue? Don't know. It changes back in issue three. Does it? Yeah. Changes back to Malin in issue three. And I'm like, who was asleep at the wheel (laughs) that such a blatantly obvious mistake got through? But is it blatantly obvious? Yes. Yeah, it's a name. You don't change the name of your lead villain in one issue. No, you're right, but... Maybe if the lead villain was in it more. Maybe if the lead villain was a lead villain. Maybe if the lead villain was in it for in any way for him to make any kind of impact. Yeah. I mean, this is this is almost a level... And I've not seen this mentioned anywhere. Right. Because I originally thought I imagined it. And I went back and reread it. And I'm like, no, they've cocked up the name. When Stan Lee accidentally called Peter Parker Peter Palmer in Amazing Spider-Man 1, it's all over the internet. Yeah. You can look on the internet and find people mocking that all over the place. When that, he has Dr. Octopus call Spider-Man Superman right. in Amazing Spider-Man issue 3 all over the internet. This? Couldn't find a damn thing. I searched for a good 20 minutes yeah. for somebody somewhere to point out that this has that mistake in it. Well, the bad guy isn't relevant, really. He is kind of relevant. The Without stories, him, Tony doesn't know what extremist does. The story's not relevant. It's kind of relevant to what we're discussing. But at the end, well, at the end of the day, this story doesn't have any relevance. It, it holds no importance. It does. Tony anyway. Stark has still got the extremist suit in World War Hulk. Yeah, I know. Which we'll he's talk about he's still week. got it into the Matt Fraction room. What I'm saying is this changed Iron Man. Yeah. This was big stuff at the time. Yeah. But... Essentially, all that's come from it now is extremists. This story no longer holds any relevance. Right, so the, the character of Malin slash Madden does not matter. Yeah. Okay. I, I still think... No, because I know where you're coming from, yeah. but we're now, like, how, how many years ago was this? 2008? Yeah. I don't think this story holds up, so I don't think anyone remembers the bad guy in a story that no one remembers anyway. Everyone... I think they remember it, but they remember it more for yeah, the, the extremist yeah, virus exactly. came from it. That I, so, again, it's that idea, but there's no story, though, that anyone cares about. Right. Okay. I, I don't disagree with you. I do think that's an, a massive editorial cock-up. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not even going to blame Warren Ellis for it, even though I kind of think I should. Because <laughs> I, I don't know for a fact that his script didn't have the right name in it. Right. There are so many ways that could have been cocked up. It yeah. could have been a lettering mistake. It could have been his mistake in the script. But the editor should have spotted that. Yes. So somebody's not reading the whole story as a whole. But I'm granted, including Warren Ellis. Including Warren Ellis. <laughs> but granted, when the story takes 15 months to come out for six yeah. issues, is anyone really looking for it's, just? So? It's probably easy to make that mistake. I did like the conversation at the beginning between the board of directors at Stark International and Tony where Tony does see a difference between supplying for the military and supplying for S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. I thought he was on shaky ground, though, because isn't S.H.I.E.L.D. technically a government operation? Or is yeah. S.H.I.E.L.D. above the law? I thought they were. 
But isn't that the whole point of the Winter Soldier? That S.H.I.E.L.D. have become above the law? Well, I thought from the Ultimates that they were respected, independent party. So they worked above the law, but they had the, the, the respect from the government. But, then are they, but are they United Nations approved? I don't know, because isn't that what Civil War kind of talks about? I think so. I think I vaguely remember that being in Civil War. Yeah. But Tony has always provided S.H.I.E.L.D. with their equipment and armament, in yes. the same ways that he does with the Avengers. Mm. And then there's the shaky ground that you're on there, then, is, all right, if S.H.I.E.L.D. don't have to answer to the government, yeah. do the Avengers? Well, and then you're into Civil War, Civil War yeah. but Tony provides S.H.I.E.L.D. with arms and equipment, but Tony's pro-registration. Yeah. So you're you're on you're you're very close to making Tony Stark a real hypocrite. Mm. Which I kinda think you need to kinda stay away from for the hero of the piece. Yeah. But that's reading something into it. Civil war won't be a thing until after this. Yeah. Unless they're seeding civil war here. Oh, I don't think they were back at this time. I think they were very definitely seeding civil war when they had the road to civil war. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> but that follows this. This took so long to come out that the next, the six issues in between this and then it's Civil War. Right, okay. Because so, you think that this took 15 months to happen. I don't think they were setting up Civil War at this point then. I don't think Warren Ellis was involved in Civil War. No. And I don't think Warren Ellis would have set up Matt Miller's plot. Yeah. So, alright, okay, it just seems maybe they were building on this rather than the other way around. Mm. Alright, that it was. I remember this being an actual story, though, like, back when Gene Colan was on the book hmm. where he lost the company yeah they've done that a couple of times Obadiah yeah. Stern yeah, took all they the did, they do with Bruce stuff. Wayne not being the head of Wayne Enterprise and that don't they yeah but Bruce has Lucius yeah that's what this board of directors are arguing Tony needs a Lucius yeah to do his day to day running for him he's not got Pepper Potts in this hmm. whereas in the films he has Pepper he yeah. does all that for him doesn't he and that's and it's not an unreasonable demand and I did like that he didn't go down the obvious route of having the board of Stark International be, be bad guys. Yeah. This isn't like... the board of Stark International. Yeah. This isn't like Obadiah Stern in the film, mm. where he, he turns out to be the bad guy. He's manipulating the board. He's telling them Tony's not to be trusted. Yeah. I liked that they do make good points. There isn't a lot of difference between a military contract and arm and shield. Yeah. Is there? In the, in the cold reality of day but they do need Tony inventing stuff because without Tony doing that they've not got a Stark International yeah and not just that those Stark International are a business yeah so when the head and CEO of your business is always in the garage always making Iron Man armour mm -hmm. you need someone funding the business yeah I mean the obvious thing that they could have done here is said well, well why don't we market the Iron Man armour yeah and no one ever actually says that to him which I thought was a bit of an egregious omission. Because mm. certainly in this story, that seems to me something that you would say, you've got that Iron Man tech there, Tony, do you know how much we could charge for that? Yeah. And then you've got, because they played with this in the films as well, didn't you? At what point is Tony being irresponsible? How many lives could he save if he by would, having an yeah. army kitted out with an Iron Man suit? Yeah. Even if, even if they only have like one or two Iron Man suits... Like, maybe the Navy has a couple. Yeah. The Army has a couple. The Marines have a couple. But instead he's got one, and his best mate's got one. Yeah. And his girlfriend's got one. Yeah. So it's, it is... it is. This was the more interesting part of the story for me. Yeah. The moral ambiguity of him having created the Iron Man suit, at what point then does it become his responsibility to, to sell 
or give that Iron Man suit. Mm. And they, they have the whole hearing for that in Iron Man 2, don't they? Yeah. Well, but because Tony Stark's Robert Downey Jr. in that, it's just snarky. Mm. Whereas here, Tony's a little bit more thoughtful yeah. about it. But nobody ever says, put the Iron Man suit up for sale. Which you'd think that they would mention. Um, the extremist project here is claimed to be Myers. I thought issue one established it as being Aldrich Killian's. Is she not taking the credit for it? I don't, I don't, Sal says she's working on Extremis. Extremis. Yeah. I how to pronounce well, it. Well, she's it? working on it. Yeah, but she claims credit for it here. Well, is she not trying to cover up for being 50% in selling it to Possibly. the Possibly, yeah. Does she not want to separate it from, oh yeah, I worked with the guy who sold it? Possibly. And then they go to Billy Connolly's house. Or Grandpa Max. Oh, he, he looks more like Grandpa <laughs> Max than he looks like Billy Connolly. I'll give you that. Um, I did like Meyer's line about Stark Tech not making ladies lay down and Stark's retort that he's got lots of money that normally parts legs. Yeah. <laughs> I thought was very crude but very funny. <laughs> but that's just me. Sorry if you, if you don't agree. Uh, Sal's a typical hippie conspiracy theorist. Yeah. He's an interesting character. No, it's, yeah, it's an interesting monologue but it's hitting the hammer. Yeah, it, it's, oh, it's, he is here only to make Tony feel guilty about his life. Yeah. Which is the whole point of the story. But Ellis is drawing major attention here to a basic comic book trope. Mm. That in the real world, Iron Man, the Iron Man armour would be a major shift in the balance of power. Yes. For whatever country had an Iron Man armour. Now, normally this injects too much realism into the fantasy, doesn't mm. it? But it plays heavily into what this story's themes are. What has Iron Man done, really? Mm. What has he accomplished? Tony Stark's invented this magnificent piece of tech and done what with it? Played it being a superhero? Yeah. He could change the world with this armour. Because they flew into the portal in New York and closed it. That's, that's very true. But that's in the films. That's true. Whereas yeah. in the comics, he's, he's not really said anything. That's the problem with stories of this nature. The yeah. central character never counters with all the lives he has saved mm. by being Iron Man. He just stands there dithering, doesn't he? He doesn't turn around to Sal and say, well, let's use the Avengers as an example, even though it doesn't exist in this continuity. He never turns around to say to Sal, yeah, and you'd be speaking Chitori now if I'd not used the Iron Man suit to close that portal. Which, let's point out, very nearly killed me. Yeah, but they are both valid points. Yeah. It's, Iron Man is a very selfish thing, despite having achieved selfless... Despite I, Tony Stark being Iron Man, selfishly has been selfless. Mm. So he's keeping it to himself, but he's doing good things with it, but he could do more good if he sold if it. If he militarised yeah. it. So, but could he? But then, would he be doing good stuff if he militarised it? Because, because then, would they be used as the, weapons? The, well, the balance, well, it would be, but the balance of power shifts, so the balance of power mutually assured destruction. So the other side yeah. would need an Iron Man suit. So it comes down to fear. Yeah. He's selfishly keeping it to himself because he believes that he's doing the right thing. And also, let's not forget that originally the Iron Man suit only existed to keep him alive. Yes. It was essentially just a massive iron lung. Yeah. Wasn't it? And it's only in later, since he's got rid of that Achilles heel, mm. that it is now, can be seen as a weapon. Yeah. And I liked it. It's hard not to see Sal as being a Warren Ellis avatar, but it does, it fits into all of these kind of things, doesn't it? It's like, why did they not make a ton of kits in Knight Rider? Yeah. Why did, after the success with Steve Austin, why did they not pull loads of money into the $6 million Man project and have a $6 million Man in every army? 
because they didn't have that many six million dollars. If they've got a Steve Austin, they've proved that this procedure works. Right. Do you really think the government w- wouldn't throw money at it to make more of him? Oh, but then it comes into funding. Where do you get that money from? And would you ask for volunteers? Okay. Y- yes. Yeah, but it still costs six million per volunteer. Yeah, but do you, do and who's to say that all of those volunteers would work? Yeah. So that's way more than six million per person. Well, yeah, but they would if they're for every three that died, they get one that does work. They would probably consider that value for money. That's a wasted twenty million dollars. <laughs> it is, but also it, it it's that's not the example that I'm using this for. What I'm using it for is in every one of those shows, if he's special, yeah. If suddenly there's a ton of them, he's not special anymore. Yes. And once you draw attention to that, your audience is going, "Wait a minute, that's taken them out." Of yeah. It, yeah. If no one ever said, "Well, why is the army now not making the ton of six million dollar mans?" Yes. But if somebody does say that, suddenly you think, well, actually, they would, wouldn't they? Mm. And then suddenly you've removed, you've put too much reality into the fantasy. You see what Captain America doesn't say, oh, they killed the creator, we don't know how to do it. Or do what Erwolf did, and say that Henry Moffat blew all the computers up. Yeah. And destroyed the data banks, Erwolf is all that there is. But you can't do that with Tony Stark, because Tony Stark made the Iron Man armour. Yeah. So... There's, there's that element of it, that there's too much reality being introduced into the fantasy part of it. Yeah. And when you do that, you can't close that door. Can you? No. So, that was my thinking of it. Um, A major part of the story is intercut between Tony, Maya and Sal's conversation. Uh, Between scenes of Madden slash Malon. Destroying the FBI agents, giving us a visual representation of what extremists can do. Yeah. While they're having a chat. Do you think Warren Ellis realised that nothing's happened in this series? So during the middle of a conversation, he's having these fight scenes. He has to have an action beat. Yeah. So you've also got the um, Alex Maleve thing, repeated panels. They're not. In what uh, way is that not that panel? That's the same panel. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be looking through. That is a close-up of that. All right, okay. See? I hate that. I think that's... Li- I, you, you were absolutely right when you said what they should do with Alex Maleev is actually charging by the panel. Paying by the panel, sorry. <laughs> yeah. And every time he repeats a panel, he doesn't get paid. Fair enough, yeah. I think that's valid. I yeah. think that's a valid, valid criticism. Uh, one of the problems of the art and current day comics is present in this, Im- in, in this issue. Sorry, The extremist action scenes are, like you just said, they're just here to break up a Talking Heads comic. Yeah. Not a, a comic about David Byrne, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the art is stiff, the facial expressions are limited, and so the action doesn't end up working particularly well, mm. does it? Yeah, it's it's a speaky issue with some action thrown in it. Because you can get what they're kind of doing, they want to show off the power of the extremists, yeah. they want to show that, the, the, you know, they shouldn't be in this man's hands. Yeah. They are but it's thrown in though just to do that but uh, isn't that also showing the potential danger of what Tony is saying Iron Man the Iron Man armour in the hands of less than reputable people yeah and that would work if it wasn't a scene thrown in though just to be there yeah I mean well all Tony's done for these three issues really is fly around a bit and talk yes well, <laughs> yeah. we're in two issues but it's three issues in a minute that's essentially all he's done uh, I don't want to give people the impression we didn't actually like this. Because mm. <laughs> I didn't not like it. This has ended up being a lot more negative than I'd planned. It has. 
Alright, okay, well, we'll carry on. Uh, part three, they don't have individual titles, so whatever. On the flight home, Maya details to Tony exactly what Extremis is. A bioelectronics package that, when injected into a human, rewrites the normal human blueprint in the brain. The human body then goes into shock as the brain is told the body is wrong, and its genetic code overwritten as new and better organs are built. Upon completion, this new updated version of the Super Soldier Serum will have created a Super Soldier for the 21st century. But without medical care, the human injected with Extrema should not have survived. To make matters worse, Tony discovers that the serum was sold to domestic terrorists. Upon landing at a remote Stark hangar, Tony sends Maya home and he unloads the Iron Man suit. Using the many sophisticated systems at his command, Iron Man finds Malin, who is no longer Madden, having reverted to his original name, being transported. Iron Man blasts the van carrying Malin apart, but Malin isn't about to go quietly. He withstands a full-on repulsor blast and then manages to short-circuit the Iron Man armour. Malin then hurls Iron Man into the freeway, causing a multi-car pileup. The fight isn't particularly long. Malin resists sunflows and a repulsor to the face. Iron Man doesn't resist Malin's punch to the chest. With the armour breached, Malin picks up a Porsche full of people and prepares to beat Iron Man to death with it. Thirteen pages of this 22-page comic have no words or no more than three words on them. Yep. Not a criticism, merely an observation. <laughs> I counted them. Did you? Yes, I did. So, we start off... The, the comic... We'll go to that in a minute. We start off, she explains what Extremis is. Halfway through, it becomes a fight between Malon and Iron Man. And that's all it is. Page after page of stiffly drawn action. Yeah. Isn't it? With no backgrounds. With no backgrounds. That really bugs me. Does it get to it you? It does. I don't like it. You're absolutely it makes right. it look empty. Last page, no backgrounds. This yeah. is a freeway full of people. No backgrounds. Penultimate page of the issue. No backgrounds. Pen penultimate page of the issue. No backgrounds. Pen, pen, pen penultimate page. <laughs> uh, one panel has a background, if we can call there's an explosion a, a background. That, oh, there's, there's a wall. Oh, there's a wall, yeah. though, yeah. Do you consider that a background? That's a, it's, it's more pen, pen, pen penultimate page. <laughs> Ooh, a rose that disappears mm, into some mist. Yeah. Uh, oh, but there's a background, though, when Iron Man's falling. There's yeah. a background of cars that don't look like they're moving. Uh, this comic establishes that Tony no longer carries the armour around in a suitcase because that is far too silly for the 21st century. Instead, what Tony does is ship it around wherever he goes in a big container. He tells everybody that this is his car. Yeah. Now, I get that this is a more realistic take on Iron Man, but it's also much more stupid. Yeah, but I get it. Because you want to you wanna set up how cool and good the extremist armour is. Hmm. So for him to carry it around in a suitcase compared to having to lug his old one in a crate... That's true. You know, it's, it's like the, the Superman thing where hmm. you would show how strong a bad guy is by on and beat on Superman. Yeah. To show how good extremist is, you have his last one just being... Have to be crap. in a massive crate. Yeah. But to get around that, he's had to explain why he used to be able to carry it around in armour... But can't now. Yeah. So you do have that scene in a later issue, don't you, where Tony says, I could never get the underarm mesh yeah. to be shrunken down to fit in the briefcase. So I had to wear it under my suit or whatever. So Ellis has to kind of bend Iron Man mythos to make it work. Yeah. But there's also, as well, you can see why he's tied it into this, but from a story point of view, that would be impractical. The mm. fact that he can carry it around in a suitcase and then the fact that the Iron Man extremist stuff is inside of him makes getting into the story much quicker. 
Yeah. Doesn't it? Which, well, which he, is, he played yeah, around with it. Yeah, that's like what you're saying. He, that's why he's done it. Yeah. This old armour is bulky and he's carrying around in a crate. Look how cool Extremis is. Because essentially it's just the suit, not the suit, the under thing grows the under it. The underwire mesh. And then and he the psychically color. connects the armour. So if you can't get to the armour, the you know, it's like Dr. Octopus's psychic legs. Mm. You know, if they're tied away, he still can't get them on. Mm. But they play, Fraction played around with what if he gets disconnected from Extremis. Yeah. So he can't get into his suit anymore. What if MX, Extremis loses his Wi-Fi connection? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant! Is that true? That's yeah, that happened. Oh right, that, that's that's, well, that's why he doesn't have extremists anymore. Right, because if he's not got Wi-Fi, he's buggered. Well, he, I think he shut it down when he when he killed his mind, but that's way later on. All oh, right, okay, fair enough. Uh, we get Madden slash Malin's backstory. Oh, he had a rough childhood. He did. Oh, my heart bleeds. Yeah, um, it wasn't. Again, it wasn't. It wasn't a story. It no, was it's just. I, he, yeah, he had a yeah. and like you said earlier on, this plays into later when yeah. the, when they're talking about how we're, we're much alike, you and I. <laughs> and you're like, no, you're not. Mm. <laughs> but all right, fair enough. The action beat at the end of the issue barely qualifies as such. Yeah, it's rather pedestrian, isn't it? Have you noticed something that I, I don't know what it is, but Addy Granov does it an awful lot. These balls come out of Iron Man's fingers and blow up, mm. and that happens in every single fight scene. Are they not like sunspots, sunflowers or yeah, something? Yeah, they could be, but they happen in every single fight scene. They just show up out of your fingers. It happens with this armour, yeah. it happens with the Mark One armour, it happens with the extremist armour. Maybe it's um, a way of disabling people that doesn't actually hurt them. Whereas if he fires a repulsor ray at somebody, that's going to hurt. Let's think about it from you reading the comic. You want to see shoot a repulsor beam at someone. You don't want to see these little balls flying out. Well, that's that's what I meant by this action scene at the end. This is an action scene you would have seen on an 80s TV show. Yeah. There's nothing inherently comic book amazing about this fight scene. Mm. Is there? And it's not even the hero loses fight scene to make the second fight scene better. Mm. It's just a bit naff. Yeah, and, and like I said, it takes up so much of the issue. There's nothing to read, though. Yeah. This isn't like when we were on about earlier about Superman for All Seasons, where there's not a lot to read, though, but Tim Salesworth is so gorgeous. Yeah. You're pouring over each panel to see the level of detail that he's put into it, and spot the little touches, like the, the apple pie on the windowsill and, and yeah. stuff like that. There's nothing here to look at. I would argue this scene was necessary, though. Why? Because this is the third page, and this is the this is the third issue. And we haven't had an action, action scene part. yet. So this was necessary, but it was badly done. Oh, it's necessary to the overall story. Iron Man has to get his ass kicked by Extremis, like you sir. Yeah. For exactly the same reason that you pointed out earlier on. We but have to see how cool Extremis is. It's just not very well done. No, as in, it could have just been more dramatic. I think a. a I don't want to say a better artist. A more visually interesting artist could probably have done something with this fight scene. I suppose. But I don't want to come down on all on Adi Granov. Because the, no. the problems aren't all on him. It's with Warren Ellis as well. Yeah, well, it, it all... Again, we don't know what Warren Ellis wrote here. If he's wrote, here's a fight scene now. It lasts six pages. You can do whatever the hell you like, but it has to end, end here. Yeah. And he's just basically said, do what you want in the fight scene, here's the climax though, this is where it needs to end. Or unless there was only half a script for a good year, <laughs> and someone needed to do something. Possibly. So, so in that case, then this is all on Adi Granoff. Yeah. If Warren Ellis has scripted this within an inch of its life, this panel, this ams, this panel, this ams, yeah. then it's on Warren Ellis that this is a boring fight scene. But, you know, 
we don't know, do we? So we can't really say about that. Part four. God, I wish they had titles. <laughs> At the last moment, Malin makes the schoolboy error of pausing to wax lyrical. Iron Man diverts what little power he has left to the chest plate, which blasts Malin a good 50 foot backwards. This leaves the car, which is about to fall. Iron Man catches it, but before he can save the people, the suit drops into safe mode. The fires from the other cars threaten Iron Man and the family, but the secondary systems kick in just in time for him to save them all from burning to death. Tony sends out an all-points alert, and as they arrive, Malin disappears. An immobile Iron Man asks to be shipped to Future Farm, where he reveals his secret to Maya. Tony is pretty beaten up and asks Maya to inject him with Extremis. He figures this is the only way he will have a better reaction time than Malin, who managed to successfully kick his ass. Tony doesn't need a new suit, he needs to become the suit. Malin is making his way to Washington DC when he encounters a girl. Obviously a goth chick, she bemoans the state of her country, complaining that people are seeing terrorists everywhere. Malin isn't impressed, telling her decent white folk built the country and he's going to put it right. Goth chick likens him to the clan. Malin puts a fist through her head. All beaten up inside, Tony receives a shipment, the older collapsible Iron Man armour. He then orders Maya to inject him. If she doesn't, his internal wounds will kill him. Extremis, Maya points out, could also kill him. Tony says Extremis is too good to be in the hands of killers. It needs to be in the hands of futurists. Maya injects Tony, who goes into cardiac arrest. Um, page after page of no dialogue ended the last issue. And then, as he's got Iron Man where he can kill him... He talks. That's when he decides to have a conversation. Yeah. What a dope. Yeah. What do you think of that? I just didn't think much of it. It's, he's there just to give Iron Man a moment to recharge his chest plate, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Malin's not been seen as a talker. He would have picked up that Porsche and put it through Iron Man's head. Yeah. He wouldn't have stopped to go, I will enjoy killing you, Iron Man! He doesn't actually say, what does he actually say? You're going to burst inside that suit when this hits you. They're going to have to pour you out. All that time he's not said a word, now he decides to be witty. Yeah. I say witty. Uh, The computer art on the faces hasn't been particularly good throughout this entire comic, but it's really bad on the faces of the family that are trapped in the burning car. Yeah. And it's... It's almost comically bad. That took me out of it. Like when you said the earlier on scene with the downloadable MP3 in 30 seconds, that took me out because the art's just terrible though. I feel like this is when it started getting a bit late. You think? Yeah, because the art's gone downhill. Yeah, it didn't start uphill. For me, personally. (laughs) You have a higher tolerance for that. Although for a comic, none of the action beats so far have been particularly spectacular. No, they've not. Have they? There's nothing in it like say you couldn't have done this in a in a film a TV show. Mm. This isn't even filmic action, let alone comic <laughs> book action. There's kind of a feeling that we've lost the grandeur. Yeah, you know when you compare this it's... to the last thing we did, which was Superman vs Spider Man. Yeah, the action scenes in that were just so much better than this. It's Implausible as hell. Too real. Yeah. Because you, you can see what they've done. They want that realistic feel. They want to make it real. They want to put real technology into it. But they've overdone it. But that's a Quasada thing as well, isn't it? Let's make everything ultra-realistic. That's where he came from. Yeah, which works if you remember you're writing a comic. It does, but I can't help but think they go a little bit too far here. Like this next scene. I, I don't know that rendering your main hero is completely immobile 
Yeah. To the point where somebody has to come along and hoist him up on a crane, attach him to a helicopter, and then roll him into Future Farm. Does that not kind of undermine him as the hero of the story? I don't know. I could or again, is this playing into your thing that lets show how cool Extremis is? Well, I could get behind that because he's trapped in the armour. If the armour's immobile, is he strong yeah, enough to Yeah, I understand it? the story reason for it. I kind of help, can't help but think it makes him seem very weak as a lead character. If this can happen to him. I suppose, yeah. I mean, in a David Michelini Iron Man comic, Iron Man would have got himself out of this problem. Yeah. I get that this is the point of the story, like you said, to show just how utterly magnificent Extremis is, but it makes Iron Man seem a bit impotent. Yeah. He didn't get out of this himself. Even if he's beaten up and torn up inside, I still I still think it would have been more satisfying as heroic fiction if he'd have got to Future Farm without having to have a bunch of people come and carry him. But... He's also fallen apart inside as well. Yeah, but it does establish that the armor's keeping him together. Why could you have not had the armor keep him together long enough to get here? That's that's even more heroic because and brave. Because he can't move the armor. But the armor could have been doing something for him. Does he not have voice activation? No. I mean, I know the armor's dead. Yeah. I get exactly why it's done it. I get exactly why he's written it in this way. But I, but just personally, I felt that it made Iron Man seem useless. Well, he is. Well, that's because extremis <laughs> is, is is so magnificent. Isn't yeah. It? So all right, fair enough. Okay. Maya is shocked that Tony is Iron Man. I thought that was well known, or is that no, only as of Civil because War? Because they set up in the interview. Yeah. Uh, for the documentary that Iron Man's Tony Stark's personal bodyguard. Right. That's a thing now. Yeah. Okay, so it's only Civil War that Tony Stark is known to be Iron Man. Yes. Because part of oh, registration, presumably, will have to, I don't know. He will have to confess, won't he? Yeah. Alright, fair enough. I did think the bit where he finds out where the bad guy's going, because he watched a recording of the fight, and then super zoomed in and enhanced, was a bit... <laughs> Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I like that the suit has internal medical fixes. Yeah. I like that Tony's hand is completely shattered, but he doesn't notice until the armour's removed. Yeah. Because the suit's been pumping painkillers into him. I liked all that. That that kind of made sense. I I wasn't too sure about the goth girl scene. I mean, I know we're establishing that, you know, she's small-town USA. She's pretty much a cliché of every small-town outcast you've ever seen. She does make some good points about the overreaction and advanced security. But wearing a US flag with a swastika on it at school is begging to be suspended. Yeah. So there's an, a certain element there of, well, you know. And then they kind of reach common ground about stuff until she points out that Malin's a racist. And well, her lightning to the the clan yeah. seals her fate. What I found interesting was they're all dealt in stereotypes. That was, I like, like you say, he tries to put both points of view across, but this scene is here only for her to be vaguely political and him to be a white supremacist. Yeah. Which we already knew about him. Yeah. And that's... And again, this doesn't have any payoff. No. Does it? This, But her body, which now has no head, yeah. is never found. Iron Man never finds out about this, so it's not like he gets any retribution for her. Yeah. Because it's, it's like the John Pillinger thing in issue one. It doesn't pay off in any way. Well, Madden, or Malin, mm. is really irrelevant... Yeah. He's just... The only reason this scene exists... Yeah. The only reason the the flashback to his family exists is because without them, he's a blank canvas. 
And yeah. it will remain a blank canvas until the end. But even with that, you're still not... You, okay, so his family were killed in front of him because they're white supremacists. Yeah. He's a white supremacist. What was his ultimate goal going to be before he got hold of Extremis? It just says domestic terrorism. With Extremis, he's heading over to Washington to make people pay. What's he making them pay for? Again, his motivations are woolly, aren't they? He's just—he is just extremist. Yeah, it doesn't matter who he is. It, it, you know, he could be a woman, he could be black, he could be gay, he could be anything. Hmm. But at the end of it, that's he's irrelevant because all he is is extremist. Right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And yeah, like I said, it doesn't pay off. You know, we don't see her again. She's not mentioned. And then there's page after page of Tony being injected with extremists, and then the issue ends. Yeah. Part 5, Tony wakes up years ago. He is with Yinsen, told that he has a piece of shrapnel, actually a piece of a Stark Operations landmine close to his heart. It is moving and will kill him in less than a week. That's the least of his problems. He and Yinsen are being held by a group of militia who want Tony to build them a weapon to attack America. This Tony cannot do. Instead, he has Yinsen aid him in constructing a chest plate with a magnetic field generator in it. From there, he will construct a wearable weapon, the Iron Man. With the suit constructed, Tony blasts his way out of the terrorist prison. This all plays out in Tony's mind as he lays on the table, Extremis rewriting his genetic code. As he awakens, it is to a new Tony Stark, one who carries the undersheath of the Iron Man armor inside his hollowed out bones. He summons the armor to his body and stands revealed as an Iron Man inside and out. I don't really have a lot on this particular issue. We've already established that Tony has explained the only thing he couldn't shrink down in the original armour was the undersheath. Thanks to Extremis, he now keeps this in, in his hollowed-out bones. Peter, that's creepy. It is. Isn't it? Yeah. You know, he's, he's now... Is he now more cyborg than man? Yes. Because he is... Well, he's, he's not. He just has the nanotech inside him that covers him up. Hmm. It's the nanomachines that are doing it. Right. So he's still Tony Stark, 100%, but he's got nanomachines inside Inside him. his hollowed-out bones? Yeah. Can he go through metal detectors? Huh? <laughs> well, he couldn't before anyway, could he? No, that's true. Yeah, okay. uh, the updated origin here was used extensively in the first Iron Man movie in terms of its feel and the updated nature of it. Ellis is careful not to mention the location, although issue one established that it was Afghanistan. Yeah. So why he goes out of his way to not mention the location in this issue, I don't know. Other than that, the origin is pretty much the same as the original issue. You've already said, and I agree with you, the movie actually did a better job with this than the comic does. Mm. Expanding the origin and using a lot more of the original than this than this does. Yeah. The, 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 the film keeps more of the original comic. And it's, for me, how the Marvel movies have managed to be successful. They've updated everything just enough yeah. that they remove anything dated or silly but keep the heart and soul of the original material. Mm. And there's a feel that maybe Warren Ellis thinks that some of this stuff was a little bit silly. Because this was a bit naff, wasn't it? What, Iron Man escaping from, from the terrorist camp? Yeah, because like, the line of dialogues were, die you terrorist scum. And it's... Yeah. The guy he attacks were just outside. They could just... I mean, I get the terrorists, but they were just having a fag break. They've done nothing. Oh yeah, Iron Man kills a ton of people here. There's no... You don't get the, 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 the... In the film, you get that Tony Stark's under constant surveillance, under constant threat hmm. of death, hmm. uh, uh, you know, of, of uh, a war with America. He's got to work quickly. There's none of that in here. It's just, he wakes up, and then he's built this suit already. Yeah. 
And this suit that shoots tiny little balls out of his fingers that blow up. <laughs> um, this, this suit that's got a flamethrower in his hand, but you can't actually see the hand. Mm. Yeah, the film does a much better job of making this realistic and believable, yeah. which is the well, whole it makes point it of... feel like a the film makes it feel like a threat. Yeah. Tony Stark's not on a threat. He's in a he's in a holiday camp for terrorists <laughs> and they just want him to, to build you know, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and, and there's all this big thing over Superman killing General Zod in Man of Steel. Tony Stark kills a lot of people here. Yes, they're all terrorists, so nobody's probably going to miss him. Is that why people don't have a problem with it? I guess. But yeah. what, what was General Zod then in Man of Steel? Yeah, true. He was. It was all out war with the surface world. It was. It was a world war. Yeah. Yeah. So so Iron Man can burn these people alive. Nobody bats an eyelid. No. Superman kills one guy. You just see him going on to Lois. It was one guy, Lois. <laughs> one guy. Iron Man burns people to death. One punch. James Bond kills more people in his pre-credit sequence. Iron Man names himself. Whereas in the film, taking the cue from Superman the movie, the press name him. Yeah. Um, what an Iron Man. Iron Man. Well, in the film, he says, like, I, Tony does make a point of saying, Iron Man's not technically correct, it's not really Iron, yeah. it's more of an armour. And Robert Downey Jr. is that thing where he talks really, really quick <laughs> and gets away with it because he's, he's Robert Downey Jr. Uh, maybe it's the colouring, but when Tony Stark covers himself with the extremis, he looks like the vision. Yeah. Isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought talking through the phone psychically was a bit silly. But that's never mentioned again. No. Also, that last page, that last panel, I mean, yeah. that's naff. Come on. I, I'm not arguing he's with got, He's got this new technology and we get a nice big shot of the armour, but that bit... The shot where, of the armour all zooming to him. The shot where it could have been really cool seeing how the armour puts together. It's all blacked out and silhouette. And like you, you keep saying, better in the film. Yeah. Because he does that in the film all the time, doesn't he? summons the armour to himself. And more and more as I'm looking through it now, yeah, I'm seeing that the art is really lazy. Yeah. Maya doesn't look like Maya anymore. Tony doesn't look like Tony it's anymore. It's all shadow anyway. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. The art has gone downhill. Oh, I, I don't think Warren Ellis knows how to end issues. Warren Ellis doesn't know how to end a story. So the last the last issue ended, just ended, mm. with the Porsche movie's head. This one ends with, I can see through uh, satellites now. And it's, oh my god, that's the end of the issue. Because it's not written for comics. It's written for the graphic novel collection. Yeah, true. As I, I would have, I would probably have a much worse opinion of this if I'd read it over fifteen months. Because yeah. you, you, you'd be buying an issue what every three point six months or something, and be going, "Is that it?" Yeah. See, that's another reason I'm glad I got this as the hatchet because I paid less for it. Yeah. Because for reading material, this is a bus ride home. Yeah. There's not a lot to it at all. Anyway, part six. Tracking Malin down through the satellites he can now see through, the authorities clear the area, allowing Iron Man a crack at Malin. They fight on the streets of Washington, with Tony pointing out that they are very similar, these two, but Malin refuses to buckle. Iron Man is now all extremist, faster, stronger, better than he was before. He kicks Malin all over town, through buildings and into a construction site, but Malin refuses to give in. He will not stop until the criminals in the White House are dead. Malin is a nightmare version of Tony. All the power, none of the ability to see its application to make the world a better place. Tony blasts Malin through the chest, but Extremis starts to heal him. Given no choice, really, Iron Man Repulsor blasts Malin's head off. There's one thing left to do. Tony has figured out that the Extremis virus can only have gotten loose if the two key cards were used. 
Meyer orchestrated this as the funding had dried up and therefore arranged a demonstration. Extremis versus the most advanced weapon system in the world today. Meyer argues that her goals were noble. She would have used the money to get out of the arms race, set up her own medical center. She tells Tony he is no better than her. Iron Man replies that at least he's trying to be. It's a very packed ending. What an ending. What an ending. What Iron Man kills a guy and says he can look at himself in the mirror now. <laughs> what an ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hadn't considered that. <laughs> Iron Man blasts somebody's head off. He's still, well, he's and a, then can now look at himself in the mirror. Well, the Iron Man armor's not, not a weapon. No, well, not even that. He reports a blast him through his chest. The beam goes through and then he uses his hand repulsors to blow his head off. And then he can look at himself in the mirror. And people moan about Superman. <laughs> it is. It, it, I read this and went, what? <laughs> Iron Man just blew this guy's head off. No choice. No choice. He had no. to do it. It reminds me of those episodes of Werewolf where Stringfellow is like, oh, don't make me do it. Don't make <laughs> me kill you. Don't make me blow off. Because <laughs> it snaps out of her, well, that's when we stuff blowing up. Yeah, yeah. And so what you've got here is the same thing with Iron Man. He goes through this entire fight, doesn't he? With, don't make me do it, Malin. <laughs> don't make me do it. Secretly, oh. he's going, call, call, call. <laughs> Secretly, he's going, I want to really see what a repulsive blast to the head looks like. <laughs> it's like that bit in Taxi Driver. Yeah. Maybe she wanted a repulsive blast too, could do what Matt said. You <laughs> You saw him, he had extremists. Yeah, well, he makes no bones. <laughs> he makes no bones throughout this story that he's, you know, he's going to have to kill him. To be fair, Malin doesn't give him a choice. He doesn't yeah. give him a choice, and then he's just going to keep coming, and he's going to keep coming, and he's going to keep coming, and the only way you're going to take me down is to kill me. Yes. And so Iron Man goes, all right, and blows yeah. his head off. Iron Man doesn't need a conversation with a Punisher. Yeah, it, it didn't seem to me that Iron Man really wrestled with this decision too much <laughs> in the reading of this story. Yeah. It seemed like his ego was very bruised by the fact Malin kicked his ass. Yeah. He took great delight in kicking the crap out of him yeah. to show him who was top dog. Yeah. And then he, he just... He, and then he keeps saying, I'm trying really hard not to kill you. <laughs> and I'm like, are you trying to convince here, Tony? Are you trying to convince yourself? Are you trying to convince us as an audience? What, what, what are you trying to do? What I love about it, though, is so Tony does this and then can look at himself in the mirror. And yeah. Like, this isn't brought up again. <laughs> Iron Man killed a guy and everyone's cool. The Hulk... <laughs> goes on a bit of a rampage where he's clearly not in control he gets an entire sequel about how much of a bad guy Bruce Banner is yeah well that's, I suppose the difference though is the Hulk is not in control and civilians could potentially be endangered I don't think anyone's arguing that Malin wasn't a clear and present danger no so there are no repercussions to this no what I'm saying. well apart from the very next page where Iron Man Iron Man our hero <laughs> of the strip Kicks the crap out <laughs> of Malin's decapitated body. body. <laughs> he kicks the crap out of him going, this is for making me do that. It's, I'm doing this because I love you. It's, it's almost laughably bad. <laughs> I mean, you're finding it, it laughably bad. It is, though. I mean, I get... Look, it's even better. If he did this and, like, he couldn't look at himself in the mirror, or if he got put on trial, if there were any repercussions other than I'm trying to be a better person. Yeah, because at the end of the day, Tony Stark is still a civilian. 
yeah. who has just murdered a guy. Now, he's murdered a very bad man. Yeah. That bad man gave him very little choice, as established through the previous 16 pages of this fight scene. Yeah. And, you know, he probably did deserve it. Yeah. You know, he was just going to go around and destroy everything, wasn't he? And he's killed that innocent goth girl. Yeah. It was a bit irritating, but ultimately she and deserved to have FBI building. And the FBI building. She, didn't, she, more than any of them, didn't deserve to have her head blown off. Yeah. So, alright. So, we establish all of that. But I, I don't know. It was... You need to listen from the authorities as well. Because they cleared the area. The yeah. authorities are watching. Like yeah. a man killed a dude. So they've presumably then given tacit approval by any means necessary. I pr- presume. Yeah. Because like you said... It's not like he had a choice. I, I, I think you can argue that he didn't. If he hadn't, where would they have locked this guy up? He's already bust out of an FBI facility. Alright, but it's still a comic. Yeah. Now, we've said this all the fight scenes, it's still a comic. Yeah. So... Batman never has a choice with the Joker, but still doesn't kill him. Superman yes. never has a choice with any of his villains, but still doesn't kill him. Apart from General Zod. Apart from General Zod. <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those things where you have to have morals in a comic. Because mm. that's the point of the character. Exactly. But Iron Man, who for the entire series has wanted to better himself, to separate himself from his arms, has killed a guy, made sure to shoot his head off just to be safe, and then kicked his dead body... That was the bit that I found really rough. It wasn't that he killed him, although I did... I, I had read this before, but yeah. I honestly didn't remember this ending. I didn't remember Repulsor Blast <laughs> to the head, blowing his head clean off. Yeah. I didn't remember that, so that was quite a jaw-dropper. But all right, I was like, okay, you, you've gone out of your way to establish that he had no choice, Malin was just going to go around killing people. But then having our hero kick the crap out of the decapitated body... I felt that was going a bit far. <laughs> I don't know that that was in terribly good taste. Maybe the fight was over too soon. He still needed to vent some. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if he was a truly bad guy... He's a white supremacist. Then you'd be going, yeah, kick him again, kick him again. But, like, he's a blank canvas. He's mm. a he's a irrelevant. So the fact that he angered Iron Man this much is a bit... You don't get it. No, I mean... That's, I don't know. I think it's... They've established he's a white supremacist, so he's not a nice man. Let's run with the white supremacist thing. Okay. Let's say he killed black people. He went into... He didn't go into an FBI building. He mm. went into a, a, a church or yeah. someone's house or something like that. Something that made him a bad guy. Right. Instead of just... You know, that would have been valid. You you could still have this page. Yeah. Kick the dead body. Whatever. We're all rooting for you, Iron Man. Yeah, we're rooting for Iron Man, though, because he's gone into a church, I don't know, in South Carolina, and yeah. massacred a group of black people. Right. Because he's a white supremacist. That works. Yeah. The, uh, but for him to just kill a bunch of faceless, nameless people in an FBI building... Mm, see, well, the whole point of that was to show that weapons don't stop him. Yeah. So you could still... It, how about replacing the goth girl scene? with that scene that you just mentioned. Yeah. Replace the goth girl scene with him doing something heinous like that, so that, yeah, when you get to this scene, you're like, okay, Iron Man, I can buy this. Yeah. Yeah, this guy doesn't deserve to live fair enough. And give him a motive as well. Yeah. The, the criminals in the White House, they they will pay. Yeah, okay. if... He didn't, then there's a, I, I don't mean to imply that the lives of politicians are somehow less valuable... <laughs> than the lives of normal people. Okay. But you're absolutely right. There is a, a level of disconnect between us and politicians that if this guy is going there threatening to get rid of politicians, yeah. there is a certain segment of the population who may actually think that may not be a bad thing. Yeah. But if he's wiped out innocent people, 
just because they don't line up with his ideals, you're not on his side anymore. Yeah. I mean, I would never was on his side, because he's not really got a side to be on. No, yeah. He's not been developed enough as a bad guy for you to truly like to hate him yeah. as a proper bad guy should be. He's, it's kind of mentioned he's a white supremacist, but it's kind of been implied that it was his parents who were white supremacists, and it only comes up in him when the goth girl accuses him of being with the clan. Yeah. So that, like you say, it's not set up very well, it's just well, thrown on. With that, you could have gone with his parents were white supremacists and they got killed for what they believed, and so he, regardless of whether he has the same opinions, mm. is just doing it to avenge his parents. Yeah, which you, you kind of... is it Like you say, it's the... Yeah. But it's not really explored there very well. There are ideas, well but no story. Because this story, such as it is, is far too decompressed to get into the heads of any of the characters in any meaningful way. Yeah. It exists purely, as you've pointed out through this entire show, to just show how cool Extremis is, and how Iron Man's text now out of date, and how this needs to override Warren it. Ellis didn't even stay on the book after this, did it? No, this is it. So there was no way they could have explored repercussions. No, this is it. It's it's not... It may be followed up on by the other writers. I don't think it was. Because after, after this it was Civil War, wasn't it? I think there's a six-issue arc and then it's Civil War, yeah. And then it was Matt Fraction. Right. So Matt Fraction immediately follows the Civil War stuff. Yeah, I think he's he's near though. Yeah. Right. Okay. I don't know because I've not read any of it. But yeah, if they'd have, if they if they'd done any kind of decent job with Malin as a bad guy, I mean, just saying he's a white supremacist makes us not like him. It doesn't set him up enough to justify getting his head blown off by the hero of the story. Unless the hero of that story is James Bond, who does that kind of thing all the time. Yeah. James Bond doesn't even need a motivation to blow people's heads off. Well, but James Bond's not a hero. No, James Bond's a man doing a job. Yeah. He's he's kind of walking that line between not anti hero but more soldier. Yeah. Yeah, but with this it's Iron Man. You, you can you can say that superheroes become soldiers all you want, but Iron Man's not a soldier. Yeah. I could see Captain America shooting this guy. I could see Captain America taking this guy down in a fatal manner in a similar situation where he has no choice. But Iron Man Iron Man's not a killer. Because then then you're... Well, he is in this. He's just burned all those guys alive who kept him in yeah. the thing. Well, that's the thing. In the films, he's clearly a killer. Yeah, but the point of Iron Man is... Well, the point of Tony Stark is he's separating himself from his weapons, from mm. his past life, from his previous ghost, from all, all that. Yeah. But the second you have Iron Man kill a guy, like, you know, and make sure he's dead, you then don't have any interesting character development where he has separated himself from his arms. Yeah. You know, you can explore all, is Iron Man a weapon? Can it be militarised? And to the, all the way through, Tony Stark's gone, no, I'm not militarising or weaponising the Iron Man suit. But then here but at the end of the story, he goes and does yeah, the military's job for them. That's hypocritical. But that, which I said at the beginning of the show. That, yeah, that makes the entire, pre that makes all five previous issues irrelevant. Mm. It, it, this, this, this one page wipes its ass on everything else Ellis has written in this series. No, I, I kind of think you're right. I kind of think if we'd remove the goth girl scene and have him, yeah, massacre a church full of innocent people just because they have different ideologies to what he has, yeah. that at the very least... But I wouldn't see you playing up with the thing that how does massacring the one girl, the goth girl, versus massacring a church full of people, how does, how does that make him more of a bad guy? It's... Do we get his white supremacy 
and his ideological beliefs from the goth girl scene is that scene good enough well for me it's like how it plays with the reader Mm -hmm. like let's be honest killing one person is just as bad as killing a a congregation of people Yeah. yeah but from a story point of view the more people you kill the badder you are yeah. So killing one person in a story is that's kind of neutral level, hmm. right? Yeah. But killing a lot of people, given that the guy's a domestic terrorist, yeah, and is established as such, it's like a storytelling device where the more people per person kills, the badder they are. Right. So it's, yeah. not, it's not nothing to do with always oh, one. Is one death more else. more va- is one person's life of yeah. more value? It's just than- a storytelling thing. Right. I don't, I don't know, I don't know what, because I think you would have had to completely restructure this story from the ground up to make it so the characters had any kind of believable motivations or, or not motivations, any kind of, be- any believability to them. Yeah. They, they are pretty much ciphers. Well, you could just cut down on, the, on some scenes and just add more Madden scenes. Yeah, but then it wouldn't be as easy for him to write and cash the cheque. That's true. He would have had to put more work into it. Because let's be honest, I did synopsis for each of the six issues, but you can basically boil this down to somebody has invented a, a new technological device called Extremis. It rewrites your entire genetic code and can fix any problems with you, but essentially makes you an unkillable killing machine. Right. Tony Stark is going through a crisis of conscience where he's realising that working as an arms dealer isn't cutting it anymore. Also, the Iron Man armour isn't quite as cutting edge as it used to be anymore. Tony is called by his old friend Maya and he discovers that the extremist virus has been stolen and injected into somebody who should not have survived. Iron Man goes after the man and has his head handed to him. Tony decides he needs to inject himself with extremists and goes to take out the madman who is on his way to wipe out the government. Who he in, then kills. In the ensuing fight, <laughs> Iron Man is forced to kill Mal. End. Yeah. That's it. That works as a synopsis for this entire story. You don't even need that. It boils down to... Iron Man wants to be better, so we use extremists. He's now better. <laughs> he is now better. Yeah. Better, stronger, faster. Yeah. Um, see, it's a difficult one to quantify this. You know, it is everything we've railed against in modern comics. It is a storyboard for a film. It's very slight in its actual reading. The art isn't particularly dynamic. The faces are very stiff. And as usual, with Bra- Warren Ellis, it doesn't stick the landing. Yeah. This just doesn't have an ending, does it? No. Per se. Warren, Tony Stark... I love the hero shot as well. Tony Stark, yeah, Tony Stark now Iron has extremists. just killed a guy, and he's posing here on the moral high ground in that, you know, I can look at myself in the eye. <laughs> Maybe, because I think the thing is, we're not arguing that Tony... The guy didn't deserve to die. We're not arguing that the culmination of this story couldn't have been Iron Man killing him. Mm. I think what we're arguing is, A, that moment should have been better built up to. Yeah. Just having Iron Man kick the crap out of him from issue saying, don't make me kill you, (laughs) isn't motivation for him having to kill at the end of the story. Yeah. There may be, like you said, there should have been more motivation for the bad guy being the bad guy. Maybe some more motivation as to his inner workings. Hmm. Something not quite as vague as, well, the government has let me down, so I'm going to kill him. We all <laughs> think the government's going to let us down. But at least the French did something about it. Yeah. So, but in this particular case, his motivation is very woolly. Yeah. He's not been really given much in the way of background. One flashback to him having his parents killed before him when he was a kid doesn't cut it. I'm sorry. 
and maybe seeding at some point that when you go up against him next, you do realise you may have to kill him. Yeah. One line of dialogue and Tony going, ah, no, it won't come to that. Tony denying that he's going to have to do it. Then you get to the last issue and Tony realises, I am going to have to kill this guy. There's no other way to stop him. You've got an interesting internal dynamic, though. Yeah. An interesting internal conflict in your main hero. He's gone through this. The guy's told him. He knows he's been up against him before and got his ass handed to him. Yeah. Maya could have set up that you may have to kill him to stop him. Tony denies that. Yeah. And then you've got a conflict in the final issue. Maya may be right. I may have no choice, but you've got none of that, have you? So, Extremis is super badass cool. Well, it is. And at no point in that last fight do you feel Tony's under threat. No. So, maybe have him super cool and Madden still kicks the crap out of him. and still Madden, yeah. Again, another, a better idea. Yeah. Because in the first fight, uh, Madden owed him. Owned him. So, say he still owns him in the second fight. Yeah. But Tony realised he can now do something about it. Yeah. About, but he, to do that something about it he has to kill him yeah again better internal conflict so you've already got a better motivation for your bad guy than this story gives you yeah you've already got a better internal conflict for your lead hero than this story gives you because yeah if he'd, we'd have spent the last issue again with Tony getting his head handed to him because he didn't want to kill him yeah and that becomes his only recourse. But then, again, you've got the ending, it's a deserted Washington, D.C. No one is under immediate threat. Yeah. It isn't like the Man of Steel situation. Where the general, entire world. General Zod is there saying, I am going to kill those people right in front of your eyes. I'm going to kill him, I'm going to kill her, and I'm going to kill their child. Yeah. And while I'm not arguing that Man of Steel is particularly well written in that scene, or that that scene had anything like a particularly good build-up, it was at least a motivation for Superman doing what he did. Here, you've not got that. It probably would have been much better if, like you say, Malin had kicked his ass for an issue and got to Washington Mm. and was starting to kill the CIA agents that protect the president, the people in the White House that are nothing to do with the military, the cooks, the cleaners, you know, he's just his people. And Iron Man's, like, trying to prevent all these people from getting killed. And ultimately... Marlon gets him into a situation where he's like, I'm going to kill the cook. <laughs> you know, just a general, normal, and uh, essentially a nobody. I love how that's a bigger threat than I'm going to kill the president. Yeah, but that's the point I'm trying to make. It is. Yeah. The president knows the job is dangerous. He yeah. knows the gig was dangerous when he took it. She's a cook. She yeah. could be a cook anywhere. <laughs> or he, let's not be sexist. That cook could work anywhere. He just ha- he or she just happens to work as the cook for the President of the United States. And that has put him in danger. And it's at that point that Malin's going to crush this poor person's head that Iron Man blasts his head off. Like, I had no choice there. And it becomes a thing where he didn't do this for the President. He did it for that poor innocent cook who was just happened to be working in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. And suddenly you've got an internal dynamic there. And, but then you can't have this ending. You can't have this morally superior high ground ending where Iron Man pulls his hero <laughs> shot, like you say, saying, yes, but I'll be able to look at myself in the mirror tomorrow, but I won't have a, had a nightmare all night of me blowing a man's <laughs> head off in front of my head. And it's not even an argument of, you know, sometimes people have to kill. But Iron Man's not a soldier, like you point out. He's not the Punisher. Iron Man didn't have to kill. Well, I'm saying that they could have still got to this ending with better writing. Yeah. They could have still got to a point where Iron Man had to do this and it'd be more of a big deal and be more interesting and be more of an internal conflict for him. And then, but yeah, like you said, to have him turn around at the end and be all morally superior... 
I mean, because is, is his argument that, that, well, this is all Maya's fault. These people wouldn't have died without Maya releasing extremists into the environment, which, again, you could have made more of yeah. if she'd have said earlier on, in issue five, you may have to kill him to stop him. Mm. And Iron Man could have been morally superior here, because he could have turned around and said to her, I wouldn't have had to kill that man if you'd not released extremists. Yeah. You made me a murderer. Well, her plan itself is quite interesting. Late. Yeah, the co- what the funding's been cut off by the government, so she's released it so they can see what it can actually do. Well, it's the what gets funding for anti-terrorist task forces, successful acts of terrorism. Yeah. So, what would get funding for the extremist pro- uh, pro- uh, project mm. for them to see what it's capable of in wrong hands? But does, has she not thought this through? Well, how did her, she think they were going to stop Malin? Because she, she's manipulated this so Iron Man goes after him. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what she wants the world to see: extremist versus Iron Man. Mm, but it went a bit. But it went a bit tits up. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, overall, you know, it's I, I presume all of these these ideas were followed up after Civil War. Well, extremists took about right. And that's it. I mean, it's enjoyable enough, but it's a third... How long did it take you to read this? I sat, I sat down, and I read the first three. Yeah. And then I had a shower, and then I read the last three. But what, so, half an hour? Around about. To read the whole thing, to read yeah. six issues. Yeah. It took half an hour. Because it's, it's totally symptomatic, isn't it, of Quisada's direction of Marvel. It's decompressed as hell. Mm. This doesn't work as individual issues. It, it works as a whole story. I would argue it works as a whole story. Because mm. we don't seem to think that it did. No. It would have worked as a story in... Well, as an arc in a story. Yeah. Or like we said, like we were talking about earlier on, in, back in the olden days, this would have been seeded for six months before it became its own if story it arc. an ongoing rather than... Yeah, than a six-issue trade paperback. Which is all it's been written for. Yes. As such, it's, it's not very satisfying. The, the biggest ramifications of this is the Iron Man movies. Yeah. The Iron well, they Man did it better. Yeah, well, but they stole the look of this comic wholesale. Because Addy Granoff works as a concept artist for it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'd, I'd recommend you read it if you can find it for cheap. Mm. I wouldn't pay more than a tenner for it. Yeah. Because there's not that much reading in it. But that, I think that's its big lost lasting legacy of Extremis, the movies. Yeah. It gave us the Iron Man movies. Anyway, I think we've dissected that one enough. Mm. I thought we were going to be a bit more positive. I do apologise, lovely listener. I wanted to be positive about I, well, it. Well, that's the thing, isn't I rem- it? I remember liking it. Yeah, I remembered liking it more than but I did. when did we read it? I read it when I bought this. Right, okay. That was the only time I read this. You read it on Marvel Online, you said. Yeah. So I read this when it came out in 2012. Right. So it's still four years ago. Yeah, I, I read it closer to the time of it coming out. Right. And at the time, it, it did everything it set out to. It reinvented Iron Man for a modern era, but we don't live in that modern era anymore. No, that modern era's gone. Yeah. It's now 2060. So, okay. Next time on an all-new episode of Hey Kids Comics, World War Hulk. Yeah. That's what's next. If you wondered about Captain America White, it's the third in the trilogy. I'm making you all wait for it. Uh, If you enjoyed Extremis, 
Really? <laughs> I always like dissenting opinions. Yeah. I'd also like to, if, you, if you've read this recently, and if you'd want to dig it out and listen to it, lovely listener, feel free, it won't take you half an hour. Have a read of it, see if you think, see if you agree with us that the bad guy's motivations aren't particularly well explored. If we're really wrong now, like, if we've missed out. Well, what, if, what if there was a tie-in issue that exploded the background? <laughs> I don't think there was at this point. <laughs> I think there was only Iron Man at this point. Yeah. It's not like now where Iron Man is so big he's got two, three monthly comics, all know. written by Bendis. I know there's definitely two. There's Invincible Iron Man and, and some, it's not Superior Iron Man. He's, a, he's James Bond now, basically. Right, okay. So there is two titles now. Plus he's in Avengers. Yeah. So, alright, okay. And Guardians. And Guardians. Is he in Guardians? He was. Right, maybe he's not in that anymore. I don't know. I don't read enough of them to know. Alright, okay. Sorry about that. We thought it'd be more positive. Yeah. Well, next week will be. <laughs> next week's good. World War Hub's good. Alright, we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Goodbye. Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production and a Two True Freaks presentation. Episodes drop intermittently. It is hosted by Andrew and Michael Leyland. All sound clips and music used in the show are for review purposes only, so don't sue us because we talk over them, so it's not like people can rip them off. Correspondence to the show can be sent to heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. 